Do you know why he's called Buffalo Bill? Please tell me. The newspapers won't say. Well, it started as a bad joke in Kansas City homicide, and they said, this one likes to skin his humps. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm John Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode six. Six is a big number, Tom. Why? Almost like the big show. And oh, he, he moved. He flipped. He just flipped to the AEW. What a twist. Was it a twist? It was surprising. I People thought he thought was, he was dead. dead. And then I saw it on my newsfeed, like, legendary wrestler big show. Oh, and maybe, I was like, like big he's news? alive? You were, then you're like waiting for like has died at age 49. I like, did. Then he's like, nope, he's a commentator now for AEW. <laughs> you know, with all the Tiger Woods stuff, he's alive. He made it. Yeah, I saw all that. I was like, oh, the Tiger Woods. And I saw like helicopter footage, but I thought it was helicopter like crash. And I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Or is a new is like a sports star gonna die every year in a new month? Like January is Kobe. And next year in February it's Tiger. In March it's uh. I don't think we can't we can't say anybody because that's bad mojo. Carl Malone. <laughs> no, no, Carl Malone's. But if, but if he was, it'd be like in a sheep. April. It's Doug Flutie. Oh man, what happened to Doug Flutie? <laughs> he was a, he's a former WWE twenty four seven champion. Was he? Yeah, he won that a few months ago. Doug Flutie? Yeah. During a beach volleyball game or something. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just speaking <laughs> nonsense, Tom. <laughs> Well, I don't know. With wrestling, it could all that stuff could be real. Oh, that could, all, no, that that is one hundred percent true. Doug Flutie won a title, a wrestling title. It's a twenty four seven title. It can be defended. It has to be defended at all times. But how does the beach volleyball fit into he this? He was at a beach volleyball, or beach soccer game, and like it was mixed between NFL and WWE wrestlers. Oh, and one of the WWE wrestlers there was the champion at the time, and Doug Flutie rolled him up. Who was it? Who was it the champion? Our truth. He's he's a little on the truth cooling the truth killer K Quick. He used to be with a uh, Road Dog in the early two thousands when you might have watched wrestling. Mm-mm. Yeah, remember when Bob Backlund won the title at a I do. Ro- at a road event? No, it was a, he, he won it. No, he won. He won, uh, he won no, it. At he house won it no, he won it at Survivor Series when Owen Hart threw in the towel, and then he lost it at a house several show? days later at a house show at Madison Square Garden to in nine seconds to Diesel, Kevin Nash. I was so upset by that because I loved Bob Backlund. Oh, that makes so much sense. I'm going to go tell my brother as soon as we're done. I was like, guess what? Mario loves Bob Backlund. He doesn't know anything about you. He'd be like, that makes sense. Connecticut resident Bob Backlund. He has a oil company. Really? Yeah, he like, will drive around and deliver oil for you. I Does mean, he do it like Bob Backlund? <laughs> hope so. He's got like the bow tie and the suspenders and he's talking about being president. <laughs> Does he just wear the red trunks? He just screams fire, Fauci. <laughs> is he a Republican? I don't, I don't know. Oh, Bob Backlund. I, I saw all that news yesterday of like the fire, Fauci thing trending and everyone like bitching about Princess Megan. 
And I got Who? super, because it's like the term that Twitter was talking about for uh, Megan McCain was Princess Megan, and okay. talking about like her being obese and whatnot. And I was really confused because they kept saying Princess Megan. I was sitting there going like, Meghan Markle is not obese. What are people talking about? But I, I, and why does she care about Fauci? And it took me literally like several Twitter threads to realize like, oh, they're talking about Meghan McCain. So she wants them to fire Fauci? She's, I guess, I don't know. I don't follow it. What the hell the, is happening? The point is you can't use the term Princess Meghan when there's a famous American now living ex-princess or whatever. Something. Named Meghan. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like. What's Meghan Markle doing? I thought they don't want to be I'm going to be honest with you. I've been spending like a little more time on Twitter just because of there's some things happening with some bands that I like that I want to keep. Daft Punk broke keep, up? No, no. This band, The Wrens, um, that oh, I check like every day. To, yeah, we do. Um, to see if, they're, if there's a release date for their new record. So I end up spending like a little and I'll see like what's trending and I'll be like, what the hell is this? And I'll click on it and then I'll be like, no, I wish I hadn't clicked on that. Shit is fucked up on the internet. Yeah. What the hell is happening? I don't know. I, I mostly ignore it, except for, like, the Reddit top trends in my movie, my squared circle, and my Xbox subreddit. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just upsetting. And then I play board games online, and, uh... We're gonna be honest with you, Mario. I think this ties in... YouTube videos. I, I think the, 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 the... What the internet... Ha- oh, we didn't even do beer. I know. I was gonna, tra- I was gonna transition to the movies. <laughs> It, it, it'd almost be good. Well, Tom, we're, we're at number six. What's good to follow us six? It's a nine. Oh, nice. You know. But, you know, we've been doing this weird beer thing. Um, and this one doesn't seem so weird. It is, don't, don't read too much of it, but it's, it's a Relic Triple IPA, 10%. It's nine for their ninth anniversary. Okay. Now, that seems pretty normal. We've had some pretty hefty beers in our times here and... What not? Uh, you know, good LA anniversary. We're we're grinding down the podcast count list part of it. That doesn't make sense to connect or anything at all. Good. Anyways, look at out. Look at the dry hopped with nine. Dry hopped with nine different hop variants. Jesus Christ! This beer is dry hopped with Galaxy, Citra, Mosaic, Eureka, Bravo, Trident, Vic Secret, Sultania slash uh, Denali, El Dorado. And Eldorado hops. So all of them? All nine hops are in this beer. Good God. Have you ever had this? No. I just I was about ready to get a different IPA that was like a combination of um like a pill and an IPA into mm-hmm. like a double IPA. And I was like, oh like this is a good like a good conflagration sort of beer. And I was like, it's not weird enough. And I kept looking around, and like all the beers that I wanted that were kind of weird were like $24. And I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Then I saw this beer. It was like $14. I was like, nine different hops. That's insane. 10% though. It smells good. It's supposed to have dankish, sweet. fruity aromas with very fruity flavors of fresh cut orange, mandarin blossoms, and passion fruits. So orange and mandarin taste the same. Interesting. It does not taste like there's. A lot of competition. It just kind of tastes like every IPA we've had. I don't know. It tastes very fruity. Yeah, it's very fruity. Passion. I mean, there is there is the passion fruity. It For n- nine different hops, I would expect more hop flavor. Yeah. But there's less. It kind of n- tastes like a New England IPA. It does not taste like a 10% beer, for sure. Oh, Tom just shotgun it. Well, that, that was the podcast, everybody. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. 
I, I expect more from a beer with nine different hops in it. Yeah, me, t- me too, to be honest. Uh, it's not bad. It's drinkable. I don't know if a beer like drinkable. that should be drinkable. I want, yeah, I want more layers. I want like it yeah. to be more aggressive. It's it's interesting because like every like from the start to the finish, it's all the same. Um, get out of here, MCU. We don't talk about you right now. Um, it's all the like it starts and finishes the same way. Like nothing changes. Hmm. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's just not what I expected. Yeah. It's not. It's not remarkable. You got nine hops. Yeah, I want to taste some hops. Yeah, hmm. It's a puzzler, you know, Mario. You know what? You might grow hops, Tom. Oh, I grow hops on a farm. You might. Maybe, maybe you you found some some Korean hops and you want to grow them in America. Maybe you want Will Patton to yeah help you grow them. Um, carrying his cross. Uh, and if you want to do that, you might go to Arkansas in our film Minari. We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're gonna lose the crop. family has moved from California from their job of sexing chicks I just like saying that <laughs> say it as much as often as I can to Arkansas where uh, Jacob plans to build his own farm so he can grow some local Korean vegetables and sell to local um, Korean markets mm-hmm. basically he wants to grow you know local Korean produce kind of have a corner on that market but they do take a job sexing chicks some, there's a lot of sexing chicks scenes in this movie. Well, he's I like the fact that he's like a um, he's super good at mystical, sexing chicks, like artist. I mean, Stephen Young could get. I'm sure he was. He could yeah. sex so many chicks if he wants to. I'm sure that it was a different job, and he's like, no, I'm really good at this. And they're like, okay. No, I'm just saying Stephen Young could sex as many chicks as he wants. Oh, I see what you mean. You mean figuratively? He can sex some not chicks. <laughs> Stephen Young, if you're listening to this. Uh you know, there, 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 there's, there's, there. Him and Monica, his wife, who's also sexing chicks, but she's not as good at it. Um, at, at sexing chicks, he's really good at sexing chicks, but she's not as good at sexing mm-hmm. chicks. Um, in Arkansas, when they sex chicks, uh, you know, they're, they, they're, they're fighting because, because she feels that he's starting to like look away from the family. He's not really. He's he's being too much in a, in the clouds, sort of with this dream, and mm-hmm. she wants to go back to California where they have this network built in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they they persevere there. Uh, Jacob starts working with Paul, Will Patton, uh, who's a aggressively religious man, carries his cross every Sunday down the road. 
Um, eventually, uh, Jacob and Monica realize that while they're at work during the day, they can't have their, their kids, uh, David and, and Anne, mm-hmm. and Anne with them. Um, so they, they bring in uh, Monica's mother from Korea to look over them. Mm-hmm. Um, David's not a big fan of his grandmother. Gives her some urine to drink. It's supposed to be Mountain Dew, right? Mm-hmm. Presents that Mountain Dew because she loves Mountain Dew and pro wrestling. It was harrowing. Yeah. That scene. You little bastard. <laughs> um, eventually, uh, their grandmother, uh, Sujan, has um, has a stroke. She's, she's, she's having you know, difficulty moving around. She can't really verbalize anymore. And, and Jacob is digging himself deeper and deeper into the produce, produce world. Also, at the same time, David has a heart condition. Um, that means he can't exert himself too much, and you know Monica is is getting more and more concerned that Jacob is just putting his focus on his ambitions and his dreams and less on um, the family. Um, eventually, they go and find to uh, is it, they go to Little Rock. No, no, they go to Tulsa, right? To the heart specialist. Yeah, and to sell the the things. Yeah, yeah Tulsa. Tulsa. Yeah, they go to Tulsa, um, and uh, they realize that the heart condition. Of, of David is fixing itself. Also, David has started to warm up to his grandmother now mm-hmm. because, you know, she's called him a strong boy, strongest boy she's seen. He's starting. To, she's she's really starting to show that she's caring. Um, Jacob is able to sell his produce, but when he leaves and him and Monica talk, she kind of realizes that he's always going to put kind of these dreams and ambitions ahead of the family. Um, and so they decide to leave, to to split up. Uh, and at the same time, Suja is, is at home trying to burn some um, refuse, some trash. Gotta burn uh, their garbage. But unfortunately, it's a little too close to the barn where they keep all the fruits and vegetables, the Korean produce, and that barn catches fire as Jacob and Monica get home. They rush in to try to get the produce out. Um, Suja is kind of upset with herself and starts trying to leave. Mm-hmm. Um David and Anne run after her. David finally running. He's been told never to run, but he kind of like runs after her to stop her and say that they love her and they want her in the family. And meanwhile, you know, Jacob and Monica kind of overcome by the smoke. Jacob realizes that he cares about his family. You know, he brings it in. Um, he kind of gives it up. He realizes the family matters more to them, but he's also going to still, by the end of the film, we, we see this thing with the well, mm-hmm. um, the kind of, what is it, divining rod. He, they're they're going to still try to pursue uh, his, his dreams, but you know, having a little more care of his family. Um, and he goes down by the river where the grandmother and his son have planted the Minari plants, roots, um, and mm-hmm. start picking it. Uh, this is a quaint, beautiful little film for me. I, I, I love it. Um, it's, 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 an, it's very slow, for sure. Uh, it was surprisingly, surprisingly, it felt like a mid-2000s kind of best picture nominee. It, hmm. it's, it's kind of a film, it's a kind of Oscar, I mean, Assuming this will be one of the big Oscar contenders, it's it's one of the ones that like felt I don't want to say antiquated, but definitely feels like outside of the time that we live in now for mm-hmm. for films that are considered for awards. But I appreciate it because it's always constantly in motion, um, mm-hmm. even when that motion is, you know. Tep- molasses in speed mm-hmm. um it, it is compelling to, to look at um all every single performance is is running at the same tempo i i don't know if alan kim and noel Ch- kate Chu are, are 
good actors outside of it or if they just got a good performance pulled out of them mm-hmm. by by uh, Lee Isaac Chung, but they're great in it. Like, I usually hate kids in everything. <laughs> um, and David and Anne, David and Anne characters are both like simultaneously so engaging to watch, and they they hit all the marks they need mm-hmm. to do. And that's the thing. I just I just feel this is a, an incredibly well put together production where you know it's telling a really minor tale. The stakes aren't. I mean, the stakes are high in terms of the, the separation of, of marriage, um, but you know that that's that in the end's resolved. Um, and you know when when you look at, at from where you are in the beginning to where you are in the end, there hasn't been much forward motion. Um, it still works in being a really compelling. Piece. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Um, I really liked it. Um, Maybe you wouldn't have spent twenty dollars on it, but. Whatever. A twenty four, come on, like yeah, fifteen dollars. I guess so. I, the At 20, least let's share it. The twenty, yeah, that's true. The twenty dollars seems appropriate, I guess, and maybe we could talk about that after the fact. Um, in the sense that if you got two people watching it, you know, you're going to spend that much to go to the theater to see it. You know, I mean, if it, I guess if it gets Lee Isaac Chung more movies, then, then that's fine. Yeah, and I thought it was a twenty four. For some reason, has is really struggling to figure this whole like. Yeah bringing Oscar contenders out and streaming things and, like, where everyone else... We're the, postponing Green listen, Knight by a year. Listen, the movie that we're going to talk about after this, I think, only benefited from a a conversation standpoint from the fact that it didn't do what Minari did. And we will get there. From a Minari standpoint, though, I just... I find it... I, I, I The movie that kind of came to me a little bit after when I was thinking about it for a while was... Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, not in its themes or content or anything like that, but the fact that I'm, it's got a, it's got some narrative loose ends, but I'm willing to forgive them from the standpoint that I think everything else that's happening here is so well done and yeah. so compelling that like I'm not so concerned with the fact that um, Monica's uh, the nature of what Monica's religious beliefs system what, is. You know what, what I, I mean? What I think works, you know, in maybe difference to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Is Portrait of a Lady on Fire so solidly solidly in tune to like its artistic vision? But I think this, this is so this is more I think this is more in tune to being lived in. Like it feels that's part of the like artistic, you're jumping. But that's part of the artistic yeah. vision, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I I, I more mean like a, a grand vision versus like a really contained like Minari's a really contained vision portraits not, like a so really So I'm not even thinking of it in terms of like its um its uh qualities. So, like, you know, Portrait of Lady on Fire is obviously very grand. This is obviously very small. But I think in the way that the director and, this, and like, everybody else that works in the film is working towards sexing creating... Chicks. What? Towards sexing chicks. Towards sexing chicks, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a big part of it. They want to make sure that's as realistic as... They want to make sure that we believe that Stephen Young is some kind of weirdo expert at sexing chicks. And I did. I totally bought it. If he ends up displacing Delroy Lindo for that fifth Oscar nomination, I'm going to believe it's because he got us to believe that he, he knows did. how to it's, sex it's the chicks. It's going to be Gary Oldman that displaced it. Well, I'm just but like in the way that like the trajectories are going, blah, blah, blah. Um, we can believe whatever we want to believe. I'm just saying well, from the, the, uh, the odds way, makers. The only one I can accept. The it. odds makers. Um, the, 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 uh, the, the way that the, the film is constructed, though, from an aesthetic point of view, I think is is kind of um, is flawless in a mm. lot of ways. You know, what I mean, it feels like you said it feels very lived in. Everything, the stakes feel very. Maybe they're not like 
they're not, you know, as grand as they they could be or that they would be in another movie, but they feel very real and so they feel very important to those people. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about this movie, and I think this is where like Leah Chung, I think deserves a lot of credit both for his directing but also for his writing in the sense that I think Monica, you get the sense that you know, at the end of the movie, but that you kind of described after you know they find out about David's heart, and they you know, and uh, Jacob kind of is gonna, he gets that agreement to sell his his goods at the market. She's still like, this is not gonna work. Like she's not gonna work, even though everything seems like it's working. You have that doctor very like on the nose, being like, don't change anything, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And she's just like, no, we're gonna change everything because this is not working for me. If you look back in the movie, the whole movie is kind of... She never wanted to be there. You know what I mean? She's always kind of wanted to... She never wanted to do this Arkansas thing. It was all about Jacob. Um, whatever his dream was, was not a familial dream. It was like a. It was like a interior thing. It was a pride thing. Um, and I feel like... And I think this is in how these two movies that we're going to talk about today relate to each other in the sense that I think they, these directors really interestingly use nature to kind of speak to the to the interior. Like... It's it's almost like how can you not want to live in this place? You know what I mean? Like mm. with these these paths and these beautiful fields and they're working hard and you know they're growing some delicious produce and like well, how could aren't these just like that pepper that they grow like looked very heart like? Um, you know it's like how could you not want to be here? But there's there's so many other things that we don't even get a sense of. Which I think is a, it was purposeful, but I kind of wish I had a sense of it of like who Monica is and where she came from and what her desires are and what so we can feel even more like what she left behind and what she feels like she's lost by by moving to Arkansas. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think I almost think that's a strength to the film is it comes off as being you know we're looking at it from kind of David's perspective of of this. Presumably, um, mm. being like this kind of biased narrator, like like not biased in the sense of lying to the audience, but biased in the sense of it feels very much like it's it's told from a really strong point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I, I, I don't want to say I'm willing to forgive those things, but I think the intent is that the story being told doesn't necessitate that. I think that's right. And, yeah. And, and you know, whereas a lot of films wouldn't have the strength of storytelling to let us know that, mm-hmm. and instead it would just end up feeling as though you're, you're missing a piece. This right. film works because, you know, there's another story to be told from Monica's point of view. Right, and I know that a little bit... Uh, missing a piece is an interesting way to put it. I know I'm missing a piece in... Like, what's Paul steal? You know what I mean? I want to know. Like, why is he carrying that cross? What's the nature of his religion? Yeah. But I feel like the movie is, the way that the movie is constructed doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I would love to have more information about who Paul is and where he comes from. I think we get some of it. I think we get enough of it to care and to feel, like, empathy for him. Um but I think it's I, I think again it's a strength of the filmmaking. Um, I, I love the score in this. Yeah. I think that does like a really good job. Emil Mazzari, who did Cajillionaire, and then the last Black Man in San Francisco score. Yeah, like which is three for like you three did for good. three right there. Um, um, and I think also one thing to mention. I don't think yeah, anybody's yeah, mentioned this though. Like like everyone talks about like the the solid kind of like core five performances, but Will Patton. Oh, he's fucking great. How is that? I'm not 100 percent sure how he's not getting more like attention. Yeah. He's great. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's the the only thing I I don't know. It's it's I'm not sure what people aren't responding to. I think he's very good. I, I mean, it's, he, a, it's a really solid supporting actor. Here, and I but. think he holds this, but I think he holds a lot of that end of the movie I'd get like, rid of together. Oldham, but, you know, well, the the, I think person. me and you are the only people who would do that. I have been spending way too much time looking at the odds for this, and by attrition, and by Daniel Kaluuya, just people seeing Judas and the Black Messiah, which I want to mention later when we finish up these, this A block, um, is is making Leslie Odom Jr. kind of sadly obsolete. He's going to win an Oscar, though. So he doesn't need to win Best Supporting Actor. He's going to win an Oscar for Best Song. Oh. So, oh, is, is, so is Daniel Kaluuya, like, pushing up in the odds? He's he's number one now. Oh, is he? Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. The only thing I could see is, like, some... No, he's definitely a supporting in that. No, he's not, but that's fine. You think so? I... I... I think the perspective is too. The, he's it's it's one of those. It's a perspective. Oscar. It's a perspective thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so. Yeah. Keith Stanfield is the lead because the movie is from his perspective. I think the movie, problematically, literally just from that one standpoint, is showing it that it's from both perspectives yeah. because clearly Keith Stanfield isn't there watching when you know he's Fred Hampton is in solitary confinement. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I think that I think it's it's kind of like a Viola Davis. Denzel Washington thing yeah. where it's just... Or my movie. Well, my movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no, that's actually a good Extreme one. Example. That's a good one. Actually, that's a perfect example from the way I thought of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's... I think Minari's really, really... Um, it's not complicated. I think that our next yeah. movie is gonna is more... I have more complicated feelings about it. I just think this movie's good. Yeah, like I just think it's well made. It's solid. It's strong. The acting's good. The score is good. The art is good. This it's is just one of those, a, like it, preaching to the choir sort of reviews for this film. Yeah, yeah, and I wish it was like it's one of those things where um, I wish A twenty four knew how to do this better, yeah. um, and and then we could be having a kind of different conversation about it in a couple months. But I think it's. I mean, I'm glad I saw it. If it gets a Criterion release, I think it's one of those things that like I might it should scoop this is, up. This is a perfect Criterion release. Um, but yeah, it's good. I mean. I'm, I think the theme of t- today's A Block Mario is that like we have literally been sitting around waiting for these two movies to come out mm. for like ten months, and like googling regularly like, how can I see this movie? Yeah, where is this movie? Oh, there was a screening of it. Da-da-da-da-da. Rush over to it. Oh, it's sold out. A virtual cinema showing is sold out. Sold yeah. out. Too many seats at that. <laughs> Virtual showing. A twenty four is not that bandwidth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's. I think. I think it's. I think this movie is kind of helped by it. I think interestingly, I didn't know very much about this movie. Did you? No, no, no. Like no. I, I kind of. I yeah. I knew it was good. I knew what the general premise was, but I didn't know anything else. I about honestly it. thought all the supporting actress. Talk, this is how little I knew about. It. I thought all the supporting actress talk was about Monica. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not about. Um, well, I knew it was the grandmother, but yeah, I didn't know. I didn't even know that. Everyone, kept, she, everyone, it's kept still saying, great. Like yeah. I, she's great in it. She's fantastic. Everyone kept saying she's like, no better than like Glenn Close's <laughs> and in Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, I haven't seen Hillbilly Elegy, but just by like I've seen the trailer. Yeah, there's no way that they compare. This next movie, though, I think I don't really know how I feel about it. I'm very interested to talk about it. Me and my wife talked about this movie a lot. Um, I know how I feel about it. I think knowing some stuff, like what the premise is and like how it got made and who's in it and like what they're doing, 
made it more complicated for me. See, I didn't know any of that. Let's stuff talk about. It. Let's talk about. It. So the movie that we're um, for no reason like you know covertly mentioning here is uh, Chloe Zhao's film Nomadland. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh, he's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I do. I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart, I'll see you again. Played by Francis McDormand is from Empire Nevada, 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 Nevada. Which Nevada. also, really quickly, nobody in fucking Nevada calls any of that area Empire. It's all Gerlach. Okay. In the movie, it's Empire. She's from Empire Nevada. She worked at the gypsum plant. Uh, her husband worked at the gypsum plant. She did some other stuff. She you know spent some time there. But she uh, she lived in in in. in uh, Company housing, and then when the company went under, the whole town went under. And when her husband died, um, she packed up all of her stuff in a storage unit, and she kind of did some homemade modifications to a van that she named Vanguard, and she set out on the road to join a uh, group of people, like American Originals. I love American Originals. There's like so few things that are like originally like American. I guess they're not, you know, there's a whole European like nomad culture and stuff like that. But I love uh, these, uh, these people are very like the car American, thing, the car thing. Um, and so she goes, she's, you know, spends her time in the Southwest, uh, you know, working odd jobs. She works in Amazon warehouse. She works at uh, Wall Drug. Loved seeing some wall drug. I only went there once, and like as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Holy shit!" I had like a super flashback of wall drug. Don't even know what wall drug is. You've never it looks read like the a wall drug. Like a, yeah, why the fuck would I go to South Dakota? It's like a tourist town. It looks like Stu Leonard's, but it's a whole town, That's and every town is like a every store is like a place where you can buy souvenirs for itself. It's awesome. I mean, it's, she becomes a beet farmer. It's not, but she it's works at a camp. Yeah, farm. she works all. She does all, all sorts of different things. Um. And she is is pushing away people in her life that uh, seem like she care they care about her and they want her to do well and they want to be a part of her life. Uh, her sister is one, um, David, played by David Strathairn, who also should be getting more attention, um, is another one. Uh, and she's befriending these people who are um, played by real life nomads. Yeah, like the who, who are people that actually died. She, I don't. Know. She did not. So She's Chloe Zhao yeah. fictionalized their experience. Yeah, yeah. But she Swanky is a person that is featured in the book that this is based off of um, Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica, Jessica Bruder. Bruder. Um, which is a which is a which is a good book. I just read it. Just um, 
listened to most of it. Um, I don't know. I kind of like it, ish. I respect it. If it, well, I want to talk about some of the circumstances behind, like some of my feelings. Um, you sound like you're conflicted with what your feelings. I'm are. very conflicted because I, on the surface, I really like some of the things that are happening. Here. Mm. Love the score. I love the cinematography. I love the conceit of it. I even love like some of like the ancillary execution of it I would say and I, and I by that I mean like some of the stuff where Frances McDormand is not like in it you know what I mean mm. or when she's in it but she's not like Frances McDormanding all all over the place and I'll talk about that um but some of the stuff I was I, I, I don't know it just it feels something I don't, it just just didn't feel right all the time and I think yeah, I don't know. I'm. I, it's one of those things where I kind of would like to see again, but I'm. I'm. It, uh, maybe I'll say this and then I'll and then I'll turn it over. I'm having a little bit of. A, I think part of the hard time I'm having with it is because of um, the circumstances in which we watched it, in the sense that we consumed media about this for like however long, and then it's here, and then it's. Like I, I suppose I had like certain expectations of it, and I'm not sure that they were like necessarily met. Were you anticipate like and strongly anticipate? I was kind of just like I was. I guess I, I was kind of strongly anticipating. I mean, I guess this this would speak volumes about like where I had it. Like given my consider my feelings of this movie versus your feelings of the movie, but I kind of just had it like at, at the level of like on the road. See, I kind of not on the road into the wild. Into the, into wild. the wild, sure. Yeah, when yeah. we me and my wife talked about that when we were talking about it. Um, I on also the just road. I yeah. just. Uh, well, the, uh, what's that movie? movie? Remember, did you ever actually <laughs> even see that movie? I saw parts of it. The Christmas Stewart movie? I didn't see it. I saw, um, I saw a few minutes of it. <laughs> I, um, I think the problem of having two is like the Frances McDormand experience. Where she made three billboards, okay? Which she played, the character that she played three billboards. And then she went on her press tear onto winning her Oscar where she almost seemed like she was acting like the character from three billboards. Right. Mm-hmm. She seemed like she, that was like, it almost seemed like she had inhabited that character or vice versa. And like, this is Francis. Mc, this is who Francis McDormand is. She's yeah. this character. I found Fern vaguely patronizing at times to some of these people where she acted like a famous person who was felt privileged to get to talk to these people that have really lived this life. Yeah. And it bugged me. It bugged the fucking shit out of me. Do you want to know how I felt about this movie? No, 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 not yet. Okay. Because I, I work, because I know we're, when you come, you're going to bring... I'm curious to think what you think I think of it. You're either going to... It's either going to go one direction. It's either going to be like here oh, sure. or it's going to be here. I'm just wondering, before before you turn over, I just want to know what direction you yeah. think I'm going to be. Yeah, um... And to the point where I said to my wife afterwards, I was like, I almost wish they had cast somebody else to do this. That's fair. That, like, I felt had could inhabit the character of Byrne instead of just being Francis McNor... Francis McDormand. Francis, <laughs> Francis Mc- McNormandy. <laughs> I'm, like, tripping over that. Francis McDormand, act, like, contextually being Fern, but, like, 
because of the re- because of the reality on the screen, you know what I mean? We're getting mm. like a little bit of 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 of, of realness. There's like a semi-documentary yeah, like, and style I guess, to this. I guess in the way where you see David Strathairn and you kind of see it's David Strathairn, but at the same time you're like, that's not like he's not he's falling into it. He's kind of like falling into the same cadence and you believe, of everyone else. But you also yeah, you believe that David Strathairn is somehow a part of this, yeah, and she never seems to be a part of it, and that's not because her, narratively her character is not a part of it, which is true. I just, I think so. I think it's good to that extent. I think it works a little bit on that. I think it works on that level, but I think I, I, there's like a divide. Like I kept like so. Remember the scene when she was talking to those two women about the ring. And that woman was telling her about, like, the circle yeah. and what the circle represents. And she's just kind of, like, smiling along and, like, answering her, their questions. And I was like, I feel like she would be having this conversation on a street with somebody. And it wouldn't be Fern, check MCD. It would be just Francis McDormand. Francis MCD. You know what I mean? Um, and, it, and, it, and it just kind of... It just kind of bugged me, which is not to say that I don't think this movie is like successful in a number of ways, which is also not to say that I don't think a lot of people are misinterpreting this movie. I don't think this movie is about this like socioeconomic uh, stratosphere of America. I think this is a movie about grief, very specifically about this one woman's grief told through the filter of this specific group of people. And I think that's real. And I think Chloe Zhao did an amazing job of that. Um, there's just some things here that are not like are not like connecting for me and it's just bugging the shit out of me because I know I think it's really connecting for some people and maybe I'm just too maybe I was too invested in like the 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 lead up to it mm. and I was too hyped for it and I was too ready for it um but I was just it's just kind of left me a little like a limbo feeling you know what I mean yeah I'm guessing you're feeling I fucking hate this movie yeah with it's 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 up there with with one of the worst movies I've, I've experienced in the past year. Um, I'm I'm and, and very no, very interested so to hear this. I think it's successful in the ways of like when Linda is talking or when Swanky is talking. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's Swanky, that, that swallow conversation. That, that, like, Woo. that's fucking insane. Loved it. Like, um, my problems come in twofold. The first problem is Frances McDormand fucking sucks in this. She's terrible. She's playing the same character she's played for the past three years. She's playing she's playing a really mean character for no real reason. Well, and, she's and just, it's, it's, yeah, but it's a cold, yeah. difficult character. And and you can almost forgive that to say like, oh, maybe she's going through this grief. Yep. But there's no inlet to say that that's what's happening. And also in the fact of to do that... You have to have some level of redemption, and instead she's just a fucking asshole throughout this entire thing. And so when it got to the point where they get to the little wall or whatever, the wall drug, wall drug, yeah, and it's just her and David the Theron, I fucking tuned out because I was like, I don't want you to be happy. Well, I fucking hate that everything happened to me you're when doing. she went to see David at his son's house. Yeah, and I almost and my iTunes. That's so iTunes. Like so it's like when she went to a time, I was like, "Don't do this." And like, I never do this in movies, and I'm never like telling the characters in the movie what to do. And I was like, "Don't do it, Fern. Fucking stay. Just fucking stay. Like, the, what's 
there is no reason for, and I get, I get it. I get the, I get the grief aspect of it. This, I think this movie is really good at conveying grief. You know what I mean? I don't think it is at all. But I think it's good. I don't think it is at all through her. Because I right. think, but that's what I'm my saying. problem is her story is not interesting to me. And this is what, what, what this is what bugged me about this movie is the fact that like Chloe Zhao um, made this film through the lens of Fern. But that story is the least interesting story of grief or I think that's of, right. of fear in it. But that, she lost her husband and her job, and she's kind of going on this trip. And that's fine. And if it's told through her story being just kind of like meeting these other people who have real actual sort of like loss and, and, and fear, like – that, that line with Linda where Linda just says like I looked on the internet I'm gonna get $500 and Linda you get the feeling doesn't have the outlet or kind of like the real stable life that Fern has for her mm-hmm. uh, that has you know if living with her was it sister? sister yeah um, you get the feeling like she doesn't have that or Swanky who's just like I'm gonna die and I'm not gonna die inside like those Fucking those two performances, like from people who aren't actors, are fucking amazing. And mm-hmm. if this movie had just been like this woman who has like some grief is just kind of traveling along, meeting these people on their way, and like maybe it's well, not so much grief. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people saying like this is what I want this movie to have been. I'm just yeah. saying she focused like Chloe Zhao focuses so much on the story, which isn't interesting, and then she ex- like a story that she presents all these uh, subsidiary like you know side stories that are more fundamentally interesting and are filmed with such more earnestness mm-hmm. that I end up looking at her main story and feeling like um, it's being dragged out and being expanded too much. It feels like when it just becomes Fern's story, it felt like I was like on hot coals and being slowly dragged across it. It's really... Because it's so slow. Yeah. It's so brutal. It's so dis like dishonest in a way. And, and the fact that it feels so... um manufactured yeah manufactured is a really interesting word and then to top it off like Frances McDormand I love her as an actress but she's just on this fucking track of just being the, the same character lately like the well, second I, where David breaks like the the glasses like the meanness in that in that performance there's there's no stand over di- there there's no depth of loss of like what that actually meant to her story of of her connection to her actual life, it just is her being an asshole. Like there's well, there's she's not the giving emotion it the nuance. Of it. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. not giving it the nuance it because needs. we get a narrative explanation of why it's important, but but we don't get an emotional lost, payoff. Yeah, she's of what lost that is. this nuance to her. To I think her performances. and I think that's true, and I think that's my. I, I, I think we're having kind of it's this, weird because I love this movie in fragments. Like, yeah, I well, would watch so an hour of Swanky just talking about her experiences. Here's my problem. Of here's I think is the key scene that like that exposed. I'm gonna be 100 honest. I shut this movie off. I hit an awesome. hour and twenty, awesome. and I, I was like, I'm fucking. So you, I don't even. Know I went you, back to the MLB The Show 21. I don't know if which you, I gotta show you afterwards. You know this scene. The technology is great now. <laughs> I don't know if you know this scene, but the, uh, she has a conversation with Bob Wells later in the movie. So it's like it's like her second trip through. Uh, looking through, I know I don't get back to her. She dances after Swanky dies. She gets. I honestly shut it off like right after, maybe even before an hour and twenty. I shut it off right after um, the sun comes. Yeah, at the at the wall drug. I, oh, I, just, okay. I couldn't take it anymore. Right, I, so I knew missed, where this yeah, was you missed going. a bunch of stuff. 
Um, and I, but I don't think any of that would have helped you because the scene I'm no, talking I, about is the, she talks I, and, about and people would say like you shouldn't review a movie if you don't watch the full experience. I gave it my intention. I put a phone. I don't have a phone up. If a movie doesn't like nothing, this movie could have done. Yeah, because nothing that I'm going to say that nothing that happened afterwards is any real different from like any of the especially after I read reviews that said the last third is the worst third and I'm like oh Jesus well so in the last third you have she has this conversation with Bob Wells where she tells the story kind of of what happened to her town and her husband and subsequently to herself and then Bob Wells tells the story which I don't know if it's real or not if it's not real it's like he's amazing the suicide yeah um if it's not real, he's amazing. And if it is real, it's completely and totally heartbreaking. But regardless of what it is, it's because you know that some of the because I knew that some of these people were real, and I knew that Bob Wells was real, I assumed that his story was real. And when you compared their two stories I don't think it's I don't think it's real. So he's a genius. When you compare those two stories, or you just say, like, yeah, you made a lot of bad choices. Bob Wells got his whole life, like, stomped on by, like, God or just... The character. You know, chance. Yeah, the character. Bob Wells the person I read into a bit. Doesn't seem... Whatever. I'm talking about the Bob Wells and the thing. But I think this is more problematic of the movie, where it's like, you, it's all confused. When he tells you that... Which is actually... I don't think that's the film's fault. No. I think that would be the fault of, of the viewer. Like... Like that's we should, we should look at it I'm through s- the view of of what the film's presenting. But that's what I'm saying is that like I think I'm confused in my feelings of it. I'm watching this movie and I'm feeling one thing, but I'm also know a bunch of things, and that's not changing. That's not like helping my experience. But what I'm saying about the scene is that like what Bob Wells is saying is like an existential. She's expressing an existential crisis. She's just like I was really bummed out that my life changed, and so I just decided to move in a van. Yeah. Bob Wells is saying, like, I got my nuts stepped on by existence, and, like, this is the only way that I could gain any kind of measure of control over m- my life, yeah. was to do this, and I found peace with myself through doing this. I don't ever get the sense from this movie that Fern is trying to find, of what Fern is trying to find. I know she's trying to find not sad. Do you know what? But you know like, what, to what end? You because what these people have these people have devoted their entire existence to you this. Know what me and out she's on just this? kind of like, yo, I do this. You now. know what really tuned me on this movie what? is when like, and like, honestly, the swanky, I guess is her name. Yeah. But like, supporting, like, she should be in contention. Like when she just for that one story. Not even for that, but even beyond that one story, when she fucking like taught like trashes ferns. Oh, like, you're gonna die out here. Yeah. Yeah. And just like this is not fucking a joke. ruins it, yeah. And just like like she's fucking. I'm, I'm hoping. I mean, obviously she probably. I mean, she maybe she wouldn't be interested in it, but like there's. She's fucking great in this. Mm-hmm. Like performance wise, everyone's not Francis McDormand's amazing. But um, I don't think Francis so, McDormand is bad. I, I think, think just, I think I think she's bad. But you know, I think my, she's my like problem contextually with it, bad. My problem with it is like Go. Francis McDormand doesn't respond. In the way of going, of feeling like she should feel fucking like I don't. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to doing. I don't think and she's instead, in it. Instead, she's like, "How fucking dare you talk?" Like the way she presents her body language in that is like, "How dare you talk 
to me this way. Yeah, it's it's very it very feels, strange. It really feels like it's a Hollywood actress talking with a bunch of people. It and that's, and, that's, does. and the problem with that is like it maybe would work if everybody was in this movie wasn't an actor. But when you have David Sathera just kind of melt into it, you're just like, well, well that's fuck, what, I don't want to watch Listen. It. Like, I don't want to... I And we talked, like, with Three Billboards. Like, oh, we didn't know, because Three Billboards before the podcast. We talked over right. Wings. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Many Besides times. Wings. Many times. To come. <sighs> the year, uh, maybe fall. Um, you know, like, that character's meant to be that way. And Francis McDormand knows how to melt into those things. Yep. But... It doesn't work here when an act, you know, David Strathairn is an actor who's, you know, known for, you know, his Oscar nominated performance of, of being poised and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and good night and good luck yep. is able to just kind of not beat David Strathairn when he's getting coffee. And then like Francis, every time I see Francis McDormand, it's like, that's Francis McDormand. It almost feels like the scene where she has to take a shit. It was there to be like, oh, she's a person. Right. It almost felt inserted. Because, like, I remember that when that scene happens, I'm sitting there going, like, why is this scene here? Well, she's like, oh, no. And I was like, what did she eat? Why is this such an emergency? Yeah, but I Like, I is this feel, the first time she did like this? I feel like just going, like, oh, she's a person and has her own person. Because she feels so fucking alien to this world. And that's why I tuned out because I was like, this, I don't give a fuck about her story. And all of her problems are self-created. If she wants to live that nomad life, fine. But I don't have to follow. I don't want to follow her story. But here's I'll the, follow her narrative link to these other people's stories because right. they're more interesting. But the second you realize it's her story that me- matters the most, I'm like, this movie fucking sucks. Two things on that exact line. If you want to make a movie about those people, make a documentary about those people. Okay? I, I think. How about that? I don't think you need to even do that. I think, no, I think this if, movie... But I think if you're going to do the conceit like Swanky was in the book, Linda May was in the book, Bob Wells is in the book, I want to make a movie about the book, I mean, then make a documentary about those people because they're clearly all still alive and all still living this lifestyle. But, but see, my issue with this is like... Not, not even my issue, but this movie made me appreciate Into the Wild a lot more. Because like... Into the Wild, for how as much as I find like its flaws and I'm not so much into it... It's very flawed, yeah. These... Sean Penn's really trying to capture, like, that feel of what the book is saying. And, like, what, um, was it Chandless? Was that his name? McCandless, yeah. McCandless was, was, was doing. None of this feels like it's, all of this feels like a person who doesn't actually understand Well, so, but that's, here's where I'm conflicted, though. I think Chloe Zhao gets it. And I think the way that she's chosen to make this movie, I guess she doesn't really, get doesn't get how to show it. I I guess she doesn't know how to, to fictionalize it, hmm. and to and to turn it into a fabricated narrative. Now, I've, I haven't seen any of it. I haven't seen like the writer. I, I haven't either. Yeah, I haven't seen uh, the, the whatever it is. Brother, and that's a that's I guess that's our problem. I and I think she's I our like, problem for the movie. I think it? aesthetically, I love this. I like. I think the aesthetics of grief are so well done here. The sounds of it, I think the score is great. Even when Fern is like saying how much she loves her what her life and like all this other stuff and she's being so optimistic, the score is just like fucking this is what's happening like inside of her. But I never get the I don't think she sells the conflict well. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think this is where something that Martin McDonough did in the script of Three Maggie Billboards Nelson just fucking kicked the chair. 
Yeah. Off of you positively saying Martin McDonald. Listen, I post post plays. Listen, I think one of the things that we should do, like after we're finished with our thing, is go back and we have a lot of options that we've talked about. We've said a lot of things on this podcast. Like one of the things that we should do, one of the things that we should do is take a look at some of the movies that we didn't get a chance to talk about on this and talk about them on the air. And I think one of those movies should be Three Billboards. And I think that one of the interesting things, interesting things about Three Billboards is that um, the script does a lot of that work for her. It complicates everything to the nth degree to the point where, like, even when she's super fucking pissed off and angry and self-righteous about everything, there's something else happening in the script that's showing you, like, she's fucking wrong. Yeah. People that, like, were just like, oh, uh, Sam Rockwell's character wins in the end. It's like, he doesn't fucking win. He gets fired. He gets burned. He gets... Like he at the end of the movie, he's sent on like a stupid quest with an idiot to go like maybe kill a guy possibly that maybe had done something. Yeah, they're too broken. You know what I mean? They're morons. just ruined. No, he doesn't win. He's fucked up. He's ruined, and that's what the script is like. The script does all that work, so you don't leave. The only way you leave that movie thinking that like Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell won in that is if you just. Are blind to everything else that's happening in no, the movie. The only, the only person I felt not wins, but the only person I feel has a future in that movie is Lucas Hedges' character. Yeah, because he's the one who's just like, I'm upset, I'm sad, but we need to grow from this. Right. But what I'm saying is that the script, because of the nature of that movie, and maybe this is what you were talking about before. Oh my god, that's Catherine Newton. Wow. Um, I knew she was a person. Maybe this is what you were talking about before. Because that movie is totally, it's not real. It's not claiming to be based in any kind of reality. It can dramatize and accentuate like the complexity that's inherent to these characters. Because this movie tries to say that it's it's realistic, Frances McDormand seems totally bare. And not in a way that like she's emotionally naked. It means that she's exposed to real people. And she's exposed to the fact that we can see actual people with actual stakes that have devoted their actual lives to this thing while Frances McDormand is just play acting and she's a and she's okay at play acting sometimes but it never feels right it never feels like um it never feels corrected it never feels as emotionally compelling as any of those other people and i think the problem i guess is that David Strathairn makes it seem you know, you can include him in that and you can even include, like, their families in it. In the sense that, like, those people seem like they care more about what happens to them than Frances McDormand is making us feel like she cares about what she's doing. Yeah. And I just think it's it's just it's just weird. I'm going to be, like, you know, I'm thinking of this. And if it, you know, as long as Trial of the Chicago 7 doesn't win Best Picture, I suppose I'll be a happy guy. Um But I can, you know, we know some of the other stuff that's going to be up against this. Love to see Judas and the Black Messiah or Minari or, you know, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Take Best Picture. Take Best Picture. Yeah. But I, I just, I, this seems set in stone. And if Chloe I'm, Zhao I'm was. Really, I'm really happy that Frances McDormand's not the front runner anymore, though. Because right. comparing her to Carrie Mulligan, Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> like, Carrie Mulligan kills. Like, that movie doesn't work without Carrie Mulligan. We're going to be very honest. This movie. Almost works in spite of Francis. I mean, I think they could have. I don't know who it could be. I would love to have a, find an actress Olivia who Olivia Coleman. She's too British. 
I, 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 I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to be open on this podcast. When me and my wife were talking about this, and we talked about it a lot, I, I said the dreaded thing. Like, I almost would have been interested to see what Meryl Streep could have done with this from a melting perspective. Mm, don't see it working. I just wanted to see her melt. M- Meryl Streep can, like, disappear. And whether or not the choices she makes in disappearing are good choices has always been the problem for me. I feel like she, like for 20 years now she's made the wrong choice. But adaptation has shown that she, she grief hits her hard. She does good with grief. So if she could find a way to disappear into this character more than... But they knew, I mean, people would know who Meryl Streep is. Everybody knows who Meryl Streep is. Who is another actress in their 60s who could have been like... Oh, maybe Holly Hunter could have done it. You know what I mean? Somebody like that. Melissa Leo. You know, go out there in the same kind of context Ooh, and Melissa just Leo disappear inside of this character. Melissa Leo would have been good. God. I mean, I don't want to talk about like what could have been. No, no, no. But yeah. I think it's only... It's in the context of what we're saying. I just think that there was some... There's just some weirdness and... I don't know. It's 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 complicated. It's a complicated movie. But I'm I, I'm always happy to have a movie that I'm fired up about, even if it's like a movie that I'm unsure about. Like I'm fired up in my unsureness of. I'm of fired this up movie. in how much I don't like it. I'm not su- I'm not surprised. Um, is that why you wanted to wait to talk about? This no, thing? no, no. I just kind of I wanted to be. I wanted to. I'm not surprised, but I still wanted to be surprised because I didn't know how you felt about Minari at all. What was your anticipation on my feelings on Minari? I thought it kind of could have gone either way. I thought it could have been like, I love this movie or I'm done with this movie. I don't think you could hate Minari. I think you could be indifferent to Minari. Maybe, yeah. But I think in indifference, I think one of the things that we've shown is that sometimes being indifferent is just as bad as hating it. Yeah, yeah. And not like it's fine. It's a well-made movie. I just don't care. Like I think that's the I don't worst. Give a shit I think about that's this movie. The at worst all. I could have done with Minari. Yeah. It's like it's well-made, but I just don't care about it. Well, that's so. Here's another thing about to compare these two movies. I think Minari has a couple of scenes inside of it that are like great scenes, and that seem like fulcrum scenes, and that seem like, um, you know. I don't want to say pivotal because it's a pivotal film. Like that seemed like pivotal what? scenes. There's no pivotal scenes in Nomadland. It's just a bunch of scenes one after the other, and some of them are more pivotal narratively, but they never feel pivotal. Like there's a bunch of pivotal shit that happens in like there's a bunch of scenes in Minari that you're just like, whoa, that was a that was a scene. That was a, a scene that mattered. Yeah, the first scene where you know Will Patton's carrying the cross and like. Um, God, Jacob kind of laughs it off, and a camera just has Monica just yep. in frame of just like Jacob laughing off religion in general. Well, you like, can go to the fire scene. You can go to the drinking piss scene. You can go to the but snake like, scene. Like, but like that's a scene where it's just like, like that's a scene where it's not trying to say anything. No, it's it, literally, but it's saying so it's much a, by having Monica just in frame of like I believe this, and it feels and, and the really fact that, significant. Like, a little time earlier, just like you should, you know, he does mention like offhand, like you're a part of this, right? Yeah. There's no scenes in Nomadland that hit in any of those in the same way that any of those scenes. And there's like the some, scene, no, there's the some moments. That, the scenes, no, the scenes that hit in Nomadland are quickly thrown under the like the bush when you the bush, I guess, whatever. When you realize that this movie's not about those people and it's about Fern, right? Because you go from the swallow scene to just Fern staring at a sunset. And just like, no, 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 no. I want swallows. Tell me more about the swallows. Yeah. 
And then you, we see the swallows and like, oh, so she went back canoeing. And I guess that's cool. But I want – it just made me think of the story. Like that's a beautiful story. Like it made me want – when I heard that Swanky telling the story of the swallows, it made me want to go right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like whenever Fern opened her mouth, I was just like, I don't know why you're like this. And for as I mean, much as – I know why you're much, like this, but I don't believe that that's why you're like this. for as much as I hate this movie, like if randomly the Oscars came out and like Swanky, that supporting actress, I would fucking pump fist. Woo woo. You know, or yeah. even or even Linda. Yeah, good. Or, or David Strathairn. Like that would be awesome. Like any of that. I mean, David Strathairn, much less than like Will, less than Will Patton for me. But mm-hmm. which was other supporting actors. But I think it was good. But, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, um, no, I I just think Francis McDormand needs to sit back and maybe not be an asshole character next time. She I don't think it's gonna happen. All right. Um, speaking of Oscars, we'll be right back with your number six. Uh, yes, Woo. indeed. Welcome back. I love I love when I get to do that. I feel like I feel like we talk about your movies more in the B block than my movies. It makes me feel really weird. You feel like exposed? No, I just feel like it makes me feel really bougie. <laughs> I'm always the C-block. Are you suggesting that I'm bougie? No. Oh, you're the bougie one because you're no, the C-block one. I'm always the C-block. So oh. I feel bougie. Like, like, oh, we're going to end the episode of Mario's This movie. is the proletariat block. Yeah. Um, Which is actually pretty appropriate, I guess, for this week. We have talked a lot about how Mario has an, a youth. A youth. Ute. Utes. Had seen a lot of movies he shouldn't have seen mm. at an age. We have. It's been a running uh, theme. Halloween at six. Numerous other movies at, at young ages. But there was a couple movies. JFK, I think, right? Yeah. Did we talk about that last week? I don't think JFK was one. I mean, from a, subject young ma- when you saw from a subject matter standpoint, JFK is not, not what I'm talking about. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Harley Davidson and Marl Man I saw really young. There's boobs in that. That was why I wrote that down. You mentioned that last week. There might have been some sexing chicks. I wrote it on my notes. I was Harley Davidson. In the, in yeah, because of falling, and of I was people like, falling off. Of, here? People falling off buildings. That was a part of my Die Hard conversation. You're right. I'm obsessed with people falling off buildings. <laughs> Strange Days is another one. I don't Ooh, know if yeah, I mentioned Strange that last days. week. No. I got really excited when Tom Sizemore. Uh, but there was a few. So I've seen a bunch of movies, but I shouldn't have seen them at a certain age. Um, but there was a movie in 1991 where my mom and her best friend who lived in California but came over to Las Vegas where we've lived in that time. To, and they went to go to the theater to see it. And I was like, I want to see it. And my mom said, no. Mm. You can't see this. And then it, But then I really wanted to see it. And this movie won Best Picture. And I was like, but I have to see this. Because this, like this was around the time for some reason. But I didn't really super start paying attention to the Oscars until 94. But yep. I knew it won Best Picture. And I knew my mom had seen it. And I was like, oh, I have to see this. And she was like, no, you can't see it yet. And for like two or three years, I wasn't allowed to see it. I still ended up seeing this movie in 1994. I was eight. So, you know, still young. But it was the movie, this and Friday the 13th, which I wasn't allowed to see until like I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Don't get that one. Um, I could have seen that at six or seven myself. Well, you would have been horrified by Kevin Bacon's bad acting. <laughs> yeah. Or the really shitty decapitation. That decapitation looks terrible. Um, 
Janda Bunt did a better job in The Haunting when Owen Wilson gets decapitated. Mm. Yanda Bunt knows what he's doing, though. Yanda Bunt. As we, as we... It's Yanda Bunt. I yeah. I said Janda Bunt. Yanda Bunt. Somewhere he shivered. It's probably actually Yanda Bunt. Is he actually really quickly? Is he dead? I think he died. But he, as we saw last week, he knows how to shoot some shit. No, oh, he's still alive. Congratulations. Is he directing stuff? He directed Speed... Oh, man, he loves decapitating people. We talked about last week. But um, <laughs> I ended up seeing this movie a few years later. Uh, and actually in 94, in the year... The, 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 if we're talking about pivotal years, 94 is, is my pivotal year. Because that's the year where I started understanding movies and what they meant. And I saw this movie, and even though it wasn't until subsequent viewings when I was a teenager and whatnot that I truly got to me like truly i truly understood it thematically and, and from a storytelling perspective like from a way it looked perspective mm-hmm. like i was like this is i get it i get i get this is doing something different mm. like, it felt fresh it felt we as, as an eight-year-old it felt weird it felt weird that when somebody was talking to another person they were talking to me yeah, yeah, yeah. it felt weird that like and and then it felt weird in the sense that like it made me more invested. It made me like look at the screen a little mm-hmm. more. And then I suddenly would pick up when when the score would rise and when I would notice that oh the music is 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 playing right into what's happening on the screen. Um. And it would set off this love affair with this director. It would set off um, a love affair with the story, which was unfortunately never given back because uh, as much as I love the mythology of this character mm-hmm. um, this character's had like two good things going for him in Michael Mann and Brian Fuller mm-hmm. um, but it, it uh, the, this movie sits at number six because it is the movie that, that makes me in a combination with a couple other movies at the same time, Schindler's List being one, which I just could not put on the pivotal list because I'm never fucking rewatching that movie, um, even though I own it. Um, it made me look at a movie and be like, oh, I see that it's doing something. It is a um, confederation of actions and ossification, uh, I think is the word, of, of actions um, coming together to form a, something. Mm-hmm. And that is why my number six is the 1991 Jonathan Demi film, Silence of the Lambs. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. The killer is on the loose. Keeps him alive for three days. Then he shoots them, spins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. 
so close to the way you're gonna catch him. Do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lester's missing hand arms. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? I remember when I first saw this movie, not when I first saw this movie, but in subsequent viewings of this movie, I felt, it was the first time I ever felt manipulated by a movie. Mm. In the sense that the emotions Jonathan Demme wants me to feel, I felt. Mm -hmm. Like, Anthony Heald has Chilton, it's just scummy, but not like a gross motherfucker. And yet Jonathan Demme made me feel feel like he was a real gross motherfucker mm. um well, i imagine that anthony hill was doing takes when he wasn't doing weird stuff with his mouth well i feel like and jonathan Demi was like oh those takes when he's doing weird stuff with his mouth is what we're gonna use oh, no, have you ever seen anthony Heald and earth stuff i always feel like yeah. Anthony Heald's a real creepy motherfucker oh he's creepy no no offense to anthony Heald, but he's not he's like yeah. there's like a he's working the muscles around his mouth like he's there's a there's a real like uh consumption uh theme obviously you know obviously kind of running through this where like everyone just kind of wants to eat everybody else and clarice in this like sense that all the men in this movie are just like you look delicious i'm gonna eat you yeah um there's a real manipulation that i, that I appreciated from a young age and, and and from older um i guess the the most interesting thing about this movie to me though uh beyond like just my fascination and my appreciation of of it being the movie that made me like really appreciate when a director and a writer because i think ted to does a great job in this who for the longest time i thought ted tally ted tally ted tally ted tally was doing with this um who for the longest time as a young kid i always thought ted tally and ted Raimi were related i don't know mm-hmm. why hmm because I'm, I was an idiot, like pre-teenager. Well, you were a kid. You're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to know, like you know, screenwriters or name or how surnames work. Right. Um, the thing I found most interesting about this was that this is a movie that kind of set the course for me loving a woman lead. Hmm. Because for the longest time, I guess I've always been a contrarian, but I don't. When I watch this, I don't think Anthony Hopkins is is all that in this. I think he's good. I think he's I think he's even maybe even great. But I think a lot of his greatness is told off the back of Jodie Foster's reactions to what he's doing. Did you feel that? I mean, obviously, I don't know how. No, has like even like when the first time I saw this, I just I was so enamored by Jodie Foster's performance. Mm-hmm. Like every creepy thing that. Anthony Hawkins was saying as a kid, like it was made more creepy by the way in which this really put together character from the first scene where we see how good she is at running and everything was responding, like trying to respond to it while still being a controlled person. Mm-hmm. Like I fucking like Jodie Foster. I never really mentioned this because Jodie Foster just doesn't get a lot to ever. She just never really did a lot. Mm hmm. But Jodie Foster is, like, up there with, like, the top actresses for me of all time. Like, I, just from this single performance and from, like, Contact, which I don't think Contact's a great movie, but, like, Jodie Foster. When Jodie Foster's do, like, trying, Jodie Foster's fucking murdering. Well, so I would. Except for Nell. 
Well, and I would argue that even in something like the Mauritanian, did you did you see the Mauritanian? I saw the did you Mauritanian. join the yeah. thing? What thing? Um, film independent. I didn't. I know. I didn't. I didn't. What the fuck? Yeah, do that. It's so worth it. So I was watching the Mauritanian, and she was making Shailene Woodley seem like a legitimate, like, like actress who can carry a movie or actor who can carry a movie. Just by basking in the glow of Jodie Foster's yeah. like performance, which is fine. This movie, The Mauritanian, is fine, but Jodie Foster elevates it when she's in it to something beyond fine, and you just want her to be in more things and be doing and be more engaged in in making films because she makes everything so good, and I, there's got to be an element to that here too, where yeah. she's. She's in a lot of ways elevating. Like I love that people like love Scott Glenn in this movie. Scott Glenn is okay. Scott Glenn's he's fine. He's an okay actor. I'm gonna be honest. Um, I think Hopkins is, is is really good in it, and I like Hopkins. And I think like eventually when he kind of like hams it up, eventually when he eventually hams it up in Hannibal and um, Bed Dragon, that becomes kind of fun. It's terrible mm-hmm. but fun. Um, but those like. For me, when I saw like this is a Jody, this is a Jodie Foster movie, mm-hmm. but like I would one hundred percent say the bigger part of this is Ted Levine because like when her oh, and Ted yeah. Levine are on the screen for a little bit, it's fucking magnetic. Because Ted Levine is also like operating on the separate. How Ted Levine wasn't even like in consideration for anything for how beloved this film was in the Oscar year. How Ted Levine wasn't like. I think Ted Levine was a big problem. Well, I think Ted Levine for was a problem. For 1991 America, yeah, Ted Levine he was, was just, a problem. Yeah, because he was too good. Oh. Like, if, if he had done Monk before this, he would have won the Oscar. <laughs> did he t- like, did Tommy he- Lee Jones would have never... Tommy Lee Jones wins this year, right? For Fugitive? No, Fugitive is the next year. Oh. Uh, Fugitive is 93. Oh, what wins this year, then, for Adams in there? Adams in there. Uh, supporting actor in 91. I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-mm. But yeah, had he done Monk before this, Ted Levine might win the Oscar. But I agree because nobody knew who Ted Levine was. They're like, "Oh, is this guy actually?" Well, Ted, it, it, it's just it, like it's it's uh, it's a weirdly electric. I mean, and he's such an anomaly. Like he, his voice sounds weird, and his face looks weird, and you know, um, I love the fact that I love the fact that he uh, this movie starts the kind of serial killer uh, you know house what? aesthetic. You know what I love about Ted Levine's performance in this that stands out beyond Anthony Hopkins is Anthony Hopkins has this posture to him. He has this, um, I want to say substance. He has this presumption to him. Ted Levine eschews all that. Ted Levine is really vulnerable in his performance. Yeah. Like he's just kind of melts into it. So there's, he's not, there's no like actoring quote unquote quality to it. Mm-hmm. It's just like Jonathan to me says, Ted Levine, I need you to do this. And Ted Levine's like, okay. Well, my favorite thing about the Ted Levine thing in context, in, in context of like all the other kind of serial killer movies that we, we'd see come after this, is that think about Kevin Spacey's character. Think about John Doe in Seven. Mm-hmm. When you finally saw Kevin Spacey's character, did you believe for a second that he lived in the space that they tried to suggest no, he lived not in? At all. Nope. When they show Ted Levine like in that basement with like the moths flying around and all the different costumes and all that stuff, I was just like, "Well, yeah." Especially this is exactly where that guy lives. Especially when it's like presented in conflict, like a normal, you know, Appalachian house. Above. Right. 
you're just like this makes perfect sense everything about this presentation of this character makes perfect sense yeah because it's a character that 100 percent feels like he's smarter than everyone around him well and that's what which I think... is great about that is because he would have like an underground spot where it's just like this is my real it's kind of like a, a hipster sort of contrarianism um well the fact that he probably doesn't start killing people until he acquires this house no so it's not like a thing that he was like searching for a house or he's like created a lair or whatever like oh i have now the means to kill people so i will kill people um i don't know where we're going with with, (laughs) i don't know where we're going with that but um, yeah no and i think ted levine sells that yeah and and that's the thing is like that for me set off like i i love uh, 100 percent i when it comes to these sorts of movies like psychological thrillers or even like action movies mm-hmm. i prefer a woman lead mm. why it just feels because maybe it's a bias from this movie mm-hmm. but it feels more natural it i, I don't want to say it feels more vulnerable mm-hmm. i guess well, they're all, generally <laughs> presented more vulnerable right and it, they're generally presented more vulnerable but that's not but what i mean is like there's a more of not a presumption of an archetype being put up mm. in some of the it, it, it like I, I don't know well, maybe I, because maybe yeah. because this set it was a cornerstone of just a really strong character who was allowed to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and that's what's nice about this movie and what I love about this and like what works too in um you know predating it a movie that I think is not as good but a movie that kind of tells the same tale in the series is is you know Michael Mann's Manhunter yep like where um, William Peterson's uh, Will Graham is also vulnerable in that way. Unfortunately, you know Brian Cox is pretty decent as Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter. He's just he's not doing the work. But the thing the, the thing that works there is just the fact that like you know in these first I guess two stories like there's a lot of vulnerability with your hero, mm-hmm. um, and you don't see that a lot in this in this time frame. You don't see a vulnerable hero who's still strong-willed and determined, you know, usually they're undone by their vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And in this, it, she's not. Or, well, Graham and Manhunter is not. You know, they they ultimately persevere besides that vulnerability or use that vulnerability as strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the thing that set the course for me with what I want to see in a film with, like, a woman lead was, like, you know, because you saw the replication of the Science of the Lambs type films. You saw... Um, like what? What are some other movies well, that guess, kind of speak to you know, in that the way? The movie that speaks to me is... Um, oh, Christ. Copycat? Copycat is, is Love one. copycat. Holly um, Hunter. There you go. Yeah, Holly Hunter. Um, so, and Sigourney Weaver. I mean, weirdly, it, like... I mean, it's not the same type, but like Double Jeopardy would be one. Mm. Um, and these are bad movies I'm mentioning, but they kind of have like leads that... Oh, Jennifer 8, I think it is. Uh, uh, oh, um... Jennifer Eight, yeah, that's yeah, right. Jennifer Eight. Um, what is that? That is Battling Stowe mm. in it. I don't. I, I, that has to be after. Um, and even like later, that Sandra Bullock, Michael Pitt movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the year after. Was was the one I'm thinking of? Sandra Bullock, Michael Pitt movie, or Sleeping with the Enemy? Oh, uh, Murder by Numbers. Yeah, Murder by Numbers. Sleeping with the Enemy is is a couple years after it with yep. um, Julia Roberts and. Oh, Patrick, not Warburton. You, 
Listen, Man, listen guys, to this. the fact that I can name movies right now off the top of my head. Jennifer Eight, Uma Thurman, Andy Garcia, John Malkovich, Lance Henriksen, <laughs> Kevin Conway, Kathy Baker. Jennifer Eight's great. It's a good movie. If Jennifer Eight's the one I'm thinking. So there's Jennifer Eight and there's another movie with a blind woman. Like there's two movies that came oh, out in yeah. a similar time. But there's one. Blind woman. It's Jennifer Eight the one. I think Jennifer Eight is the one where the serial killer is hunting. I think it is this one because Madeline Stowe is the other blind woman movie. Um, it's hunting. He thinks Uma Thurman, but he ends up hunting Kathy Baker, who's the wife mm. of one of the guys he killed earlier. And then suddenly she spins around because she can see him and shoots him in the head. It's one of the most satisfying endings as like a nine-year-old boy who's just like, "Fuck yeah!" Let's see, Madeline Stowe, blind movie. So she was in. Uh, unlawful entry? No, it's not it. Last of the Mohicans? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Another stakeout? Nope. Short <laughs> shortcuts? Shortcuts. Madeline Stowe is in a lot of movies that aren't the movie you're thinking of. China Moon? It's in Blink, I'm thinking. Blink. Maybe it's Blink. A.O. Oh, Aiden Quinn. Yeah, it's Blink. Michael Apted? James Ramar? What, what, what was Michael Apted doing making this movie? What did he do? He's the guy that directed. Um, isn't he the guy that directed the set, the uh, Seven Ups? Oh, was he? I think so. Right? Yeah. No, Jeffrey. Jeffrey is the one I love. Jeffrey has one of the most satisfying endings in film. Yeah, he directed all the Up movies. Conrad Hall did the cinematography for that. Holy shit! Mario. Jeffrey's great. I love Jeffrey. It's, I'm gonna it's put it so on the list. dumb, but it's great. It has it has one of the John Malkovich is in this? Yeah, I just said. It's amazing. Who's the villain in this? How is it not John Malkovich? It's probably Andy Garcia, right? No, no, it's not. It's not Andy Garcia. Uh, <laughs> this is good podcasting. Yeah, no, for sure. We should we oh. should do a whole podcast okay. about like is right, it right, okay. Um, no, but it, it set off, it set the course for, for movies that would fall that have like, would have woman leads. And it, I just, I, I responded more to it. Cause like this movie and Jonathan to me would become like the master of this, like was just so much the master of this with Philadelphia and with the Manchurian Candidate remake, which, you know, a lot of people, well, I mean, I guess it's well reviewed, but I think it's one of the better remakes. What? Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the better remakes to come out. Is because Jonathan to me knew how to create like a vulnerable lead while still being in strength of character. Well, the, um, and because that vulnerability, especially in something like Manchurian Candidate, um, there's a because of the way that he shoots stuff, because of the Jonathan to me aesthetic. It's, it's and also the fact that vulnerability works when like it's a person staring. It's at exactly you. what I'm saying. It's vulnerable, but it's literally. It's got this kind of um, magnetic, like electric vulnerability to yeah. it. Where especially, it's, ask, it's almost like it's asking you for something. Especially when like the shots where Cassie Lemons is looking back at Clarice and you're just like, oh man, I am. Well, see, I don't even think, for me, the scene that does it. It's Cassie Lemons, right? Yeah. 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 For me, the scene that does it is like very early on in the movie when the first time she goes to see Lecter and Lecter comments on the skin cream that she's wearing and he goes to sniff it and the camera kind of goes up to sniff it. With him, and then when he moves his gaze back down, the camera follows like with it. 
almost as if Jodie Foster is, we are Jodie Foster and we are watching him and we're seeing like what he's doing and then like we're readjusting our gaze to meet yeah. his gaze. It's just this kind of like, you're coming with me. You're going to do what you mentioned manipulation before. It's like he's saying, like, we're going to do whatever you're going to do. And I think the interesting thing about the, the female protagonist and the vulnerability or the not vulnerability and whatever it is. Um, and this is that you never feel like Jodie Foster is overmatched intellectually. She might be overmatched in the sense that nobody will let her do stuff. Like, will she have the wherewithal to pull the trigger when no one has told her it's okay to pull the trigger? You know what I mean? Especially, like, when that scene where Scott Glenn kind of asks everybody to, you know, he talks to that one local sheriff. is like, oh, maybe we shouldn't talk about this in front of the woman. And then she's like, oh, it matters. Um, you know, it, it's this movie is not about fighting for her rights as, like, a female FBI agent. But that stuff adds to... Um, fact that she's willing to speak out for it adds to both of i think her strength and her vulnerability yeah. you know what i mean that Absolutely. she's not on the level of these people but she's also strong enough to ask for it is like a is is a big deal and that's what i think when so when you're talking about judy foster when i watch this movie again did you watch it again to do the to mm-hmm. do this so when i watch this movie again it's not a movie that i'm going to find anything interesting anymore in I'm not mm. gonna find anything new. See it too or, much or revel. Exactly. It's I think one of those I think movies that I just love movie, to watch. The thing, the thing I found the most for it, um, this most recent viewing, was because I finally discovered I like music. Mm. Was Howard score like Howard Shore's score, mm-hmm. which works just in fucking perfect harmony. Well, and that's the thing. And even when it's hysterical, like I think in 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 what is it, Hannibal Escapes? Yeah. When it just kind of really rises up to a level that it's it kind of it, just it seems like it's avoiding. Um, it's like a it's 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 it matches the emotion of what's on the screen. Absolutely. Um, and that so that works like so well. But um, so yeah. So I'm not saying anything new. Um, this is your number. This is my 38, 38, 39. I think it's thirty eight. One of the things I really liked though was doing doing my prep for this episode and listening to some of the things without seeing them. Jodie Foster's voice is just like broken through the whole movie. Yeah. And like, you don't notice it when you're watching it because like you're watching Jodie Foster kind of, you know, she's in control and she's delivering a performance and whatever. So you're not listening to like, like, like um, what's happening underneath the word she's speaking. You're just kind of, because it's a thriller and it's a serial killer movie. You're just like listening to the words and like trying to capture everything and make so. So you can find out maybe who did it or you know what is really? what is he so give away time, or anything. The first like that? time I, I mean, I remember like my first viewings of this movie. I was really trying to. I was really in tune with the tone and not what was being said. Oh, see, I've always the first bunch of times I saw this movie, I was always just paying attention to the to the who done it. Oh. And it's interesting that the first time I noticed, I've read this book a couple of times. I'm sorry. The first time, the first time I noticed that. Lecter, when she first goes to his cell, says that he's he's painted or he's sketched this view from the Belvedere of some place in Italy or France or whatever, and the name of the town where uh, Clarice finds um, James Gum is Belvedere, Ohio. Like, and I'm just like, is that 
is that part of it? Like, does he know that like someone's gonna come ask him? So he painted like a, a he, he sketched a picture from the Belvedere because yeah. he knows that this guy's from or is living in Belvedere, Ohio. Like, does he know? And I was kind of like. I was like, oh, there's still like these little clues that might be hinted every, like that might be placed everywhere. And that was my first instinct when I watch a thriller is to kind of put the clues together. So it's not until this most recent, this most recent viewing that I was kind of like, oh, she's just like, she's just like terrified through this whole movie. Like it means not like fake terror, like real, like yeah. this is this is maybe Which Jodie is, Foster could have played. Um, Which is like Fern. what's funny is like I remember. Oh God. Hmm. Or is she just Jodie Foster now? She just would have eat, eaten that up, though. People would have been like, "Are you Jodie Foster?" I, can't I think do she that. does so little that like people would, people would have been distracted by mm. Jodie Foster. Um, and that's that's what's like. It's always great if if you anybody would ever speak ill of Jodie Foster's performance. Of this is just look at like what fucking Julianne Moore tries to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love her Jodie Foster impression. What are you talking about? <laughs> She but, sounds like Amber Waves, but like it's not even her impression, but just like she's too strong of a character. You're just looking at that's not like a strength of character thing, but it's, it's like too much of a put on. Like because Clarice Starling is is vulnerable and afraid, but still is her strength comes through that vulnerability, and she, because she's fucking willing to earn it. Yeah, at every scene she's willing to earn it. But she's willing, she's willing to show that she's scared as shit. Yeah, yeah. Because of the fact that, like, if push came to shove, like, until, like, it's not her fault that Hannibal escapes sort of thing. But she's always in control. Mm-hmm. Like, Clarice is always in control. So she's okay with being vulnerable because she knows when push comes to shove, she's the one who's going to fucking control the situation. Right. Whereas Julia Moore's like, I'm a strong, like, person, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you're not. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, Hannibal's such a funny movie. Hannibal stinks. Outside of, like, the last scene. Because of Ray Liotta's performance. Yeah, I was going to say. Ray Liotta's great in, <laughs> great in Hannibal. Oh, Hannibal was such a mistake. It's so funny that um, Anthony funny. Hopkins decided he was going to do that movie. Hannibal Rising is significantly better. And it's made by a director who isn't a person. Who directed Hannibal like Rising? Peter Weber or something like that, who I'm not even sure did anything else. I don't even know if I knew that they made a Hannibal Rising. They did. It wasn't. It was fine. Hmm. But the fact that Red Dragon was better than Hannibal should speak volumes about well, Red Dragon. The movie, uh, I mean, that we should do a, we should put that on a list. That movie is so fucking weird. The movie's so like the cast that they got to do that movie. Like, how do they? It's do such that? a great cast. It's amazing. But I, and the fact that like Brett Ratner had such control to be like Anthony Hopkins is only in two scenes. But the fact that too that it almost seems like when Edward Norton goes to visit. Who's the problem? Who's actually the problem in that movie? Right. Edward Norton's the worst part no, of that movie. No, I actually don't think. I mean, Edward Norton, I think, is second worst. The well, first worst is... is that they. It's like an amusement park ride that he's on. Like that the cell that he goes to see him in is the same cell that Clarice went to see him in. It's like, yeah, what are we doing here? Is this like at Universal Studios? Like, no, you don't. What? And Anthony Hopkins no, just lives part, in Universal Studios. You don't remember Studios? the part in Red Dragon where, like, they're walking on the gym and. Hannibal Lecter is tied to like oh, that I, not, weird yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. pole. No, the, did the, you see Hannibal? You did not see Hannibal series, right? No, no, I didn't watch any of that. Yeah, did they do that in that too. They do the cell in that just for like the same 20. cell. Oh uh, no, not really. It's it's more bright. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is it nice? Is it lit the Hannibal, with neon Hannibal, red Hannibal lights? The series, like in, no, Hannibal series is fucking perfect. Hannibal series is ridiculous. It's one of the things that Hannibal series like shits. It never does anything with Silence of the Lambs because one, they didn't have the rights to Clarice. Uh-huh. But they just they do Red Dragon. They do Red Dragon, and they do like all the setup to that, hmm. and they like make it in joke to like Hannibal. Mm-hmm. They actually they basically do Hannibal and Red Dragon, but it's hmm. fucking. It's the I would argue it and The Wire and Carnival are the best shows of modern history. I don't think there's anything. There's no such thing as the best show, TV show of modern history. I'm not saying like since 2000. I, I love it. A, uh, tr- a little show called True Detective Season 1. Oh, right, and then right, right. no other shows. Uh, I would throw True Detective Season 1 in there. I would take Carnival off. There's... I would be the wire, the three seasons of Hannibal. See, I have trouble with this television conversation because I feel like everyone says it like starts with like The Sopranos, and I never the liked Sopranos The Sopranos. Sucks. But everyone and then they're like, "Oh, Breaking Bad didn't like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Oh, was... Mad Men. I liked the first three seasons of Mad Men, and then they were just like, "Oh yeah, we're all going to quit the firm, and then we're going to join this think, other firm that's I exactly think Breaking like this Bad's other firm. great from a plot standpoint, but that's it. I don't know, Mario. We should do a no Hannibal. Hannibal's. I think you would like Hannibal because so, Hannibal's so aesthetic. That's if why Mads Mikkelsen isn't in it. Is it any good? Yeah, no, because of aesthetic. It's it's a show where like the the story doesn't like even Mads Mikkelsen's performance is fine, but aesthetically it's so pleasing. Interesting. Like it's it's one hundred percent a cinematography show. Hmm. Like Mads Mikkelsen is is just like an extra. I'll have to convince player. my wife that it's a good idea. Well, what do you think of like? Pushing Daisies. Oh, I think... But I think Lee Pace stinks. What did you think of the look of Pushing Daisies? I thought it looked stupid. In what way? Just the corny and cartoony. And too round. Same, I had the same it's problem too, with weeds. Do you think it's too clean looking? Well, it's, So Hannibal's really clean it's looking. It's too, like, balloon lettering. Like, almost airbrushed. Okay, I don't necessarily know what that means, but... um. So Hannibal's at, really clean looking, yeah, but okay. it's aesthetically really pleasing. I don't, I don't see how those. I mean, pushing daisies. It looks pushing, pushing daisies and weeds look like they. Also, are, Lee Pace sucks. Anna, Anna Friel is the part of that show. That Lee matters. Pace is, but Lee Pace is terrible. Lee Pace has ruined many good things by just being Lee Pace in them. If we could only like CGI Lee Pace out of stuff and put Zachary Levy in. Remember the fall? No. Are you fucking kidding me? Speaking of the Mauritanian, swole Zachary Levy is... Oh. Levi is... Zach, Zachary Levi's fine in like, things that don't matter. I love swole Zachary Levi. He's so funny. But Oh, wait. Are you, are you saying he's not good? or? Oh, he's just... I don't understand why he is the way he is. He's just... He's what fine. was that movie? He, what was that show he was on? Chuck. Chuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Chuck's, went from like the fun. skinny nerd guy to like, yeah, I've been lifting lots of weights and he eating he was tons be of a, meat. He thought he was going to be a thing in Thor. He's, and then he wasn't. He's and not. he has a Shazam. Oh, Shazam. Right. But it's he could just wear a suit? I think he's slightly wearing a suit in Shazam. Shazam. That's funny. Shazam's good, though. I like Shazam. I love when you look at, if you like Google, like, DCEU movies and they show the list they're like oh no look at this list of movies this is terrible it's great Shazam's good I like Shazam anyway well art <laughs> science lands conversation cut no it's just 
But it, it kind of is one that kind of is willing. Like, this is the reason why it's a B block. is because, like, it's good. Like, there's no... Well, I think the problem with Silence of the Lambs is kind of something we articulated and we were doing mine. Is that, like, it's so... If you like... Who hasn't seen Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. Like, your number six is something that people... A lot of people haven't seen. I guess. Um, maybe they know what it is. It doesn't matter. But well, who, more audience has seen it. Who hasn't more seen audience. Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> and who doesn't have a feeling for Silence of the Lambs? Who doesn't know... Who doesn't have some kind of autobiographical context for when they saw Silence of the Lambs? Like, and I was watching, when me and my wife were watching this movie, I even said to her, I was like, so my daughter is 10. I was like, when is she going to see this movie? Because she has to. Because Ooh. you just have to see I Silence say, of the what, Lambs. When? Right? I would say 12. I don't know. She's pretty sensitive to that stuff. But it's a classic. It's all time. Like, I feel like whatever, whatever movie like I mean, I, a generation a, maybe even two generations before us were like you have to see this movie silence of the lambs is just one of those movies like you gotta man, see it like i'm a man so i don't really have an opinion on this but that's like a pretty empowering movie but he, right it, it is but i think empowering or not if you have a kid who's interested in like film or drama or theater or whatever this movie made me gonna... want to be an fbi agent right until i realized like cops are bastards. Um, I don't know. I feel like every you just have to every so every kid is going to see it. Every generation is going to have a Silence of the Lambs experience. It's just what it is. It is what it is. And I think there's a lot of movies that have kind of gone by the wayside. Like, you know, I love reading about the Silence of the. I love reading the Silence of the Lambs Wikipedia page because it's like, oh, it's the third movie after. I forget what the 1935 movie was that one like one, that swept it. Frank Capra, right? I don't remember. Um, I don't it, it is. is. Yeah, it happened one night. Happened one night. Opera, and one flew over to Cuckoo's Nest. There, at no point am I going to say to my kid, you have to see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I may say you have to read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but I'm not going to say you have to see One Which, Flew Over also, the Cuckoo's Nest. Also, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest is once again category fraud because no way was Lewis Fletcher or Nicholas, like Jack Nicholson, the leads in that movie. But whatever. But it doesn't matter. Also, but, that movie's not great. But what I'm saying is that, like, Silence of the Lambs kind of rises above all of its... It Happened One Night's pretty good. It's historic, but who's seen It Happened One Night? I mean, I've seen it. But I like, love It Happened One but Night. But who's going to take their kid aside and be like, listen, tonight, it's It Happened One Night Night. Uh, I, I, would, I would probably be that person. I would, I would 100% create a Frank Capra night to my child. <laughs> Ladies. But a Frank Capra night in, like, in Happened One Night is going to be the movie that they're going to be like, yep. Sorry, it's multiple nights of Frank if my child doesn't like Frank Capra and doesn't appreciate Frank Capra, I'm going to restart. My child. <laughs> going to restart. My You're going to condition them? Nice. It's going to be the island sort of scenario. <laughs> um, anything else? No. What is there to say? Like this right. Is, what is, you know. a B, this is 100% a B-block movie. Silence of the Lambs. You know, you people listen. Well, don't you want to thirty miss, people that listen to us? You've seen this movie. You know. Don't you want to meet someone that's like I hate Silence of the Lambs? I and do. They have like a legitimate reason for if it. You hate Silence of the Lambs, like for a reason. Not even like if you just went on this podcast and you want to talk about I hate Silence of the Lambs, like send us something. Mm. We will interview you. I love one of the fascinating things about the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. And if you're trying to get famous off of hating Silence of the Lambs and you're in is this podcast, 
you you're doing it wrong. Are doing it very poorly. You're doing it wrong. But I think people know that. I think people know that. We are not for the getting famous. We're th- we're for the wanting to stay perpetually unfamous. We're the we're the hipsters, yeah. That's really brown. The cataphiles. We did it. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with my number six. I forgot to ask if you were ready. I'm sorry. I was hyped. That's and I figured we, the way that I do this, we would have an opportunity <sighs> very early to know if you're ready. Yes, I, I could figure it uh, out. My number six, I'm interested to know what you think of my number six. Because I feel like we've talked about it, but only kind of like in roundabout ways. Like, I don't think we've ever sat down and had a conversation about like your feelings about my number six movie. Um, and I also don't feel like I've, maybe I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. So I'm not sure the people that are keeping track have been able to kind of place what is going to be my number six movie. Um and it is, and it's also there's been a little there's some flux in my top in my five to uh, my six to fours, um, so maybe they were maybe they had it a little higher, they had it a little lower, and now but you know and now I'm ruining their their pool. Maybe there's a there's a pool <laughs> oh, out no. there we don't know about. Could you imagine? Uh, my number six is the 2011 Terrence Malick film, The Tree of Life. There are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. It takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things that a mulling adult can accomplish. I've just always wanted you to be strong. Be your own man. Father. Mother. Always you wrestle inside me. Always you will. Someday we'll fall down and weep. Understand it all. All thanks. You know, this movie missed a lot of that. No, I'm not, this isn't a conversation that needs to happen on the podcast. I'm recording. But I just wanted more Bruno Gans in this movie. There's no Bruno Gans in this yeah, movie. But I wanted more Bruno Yeah, Gans. this should have been. He just should have been walking around. There should have been a point where there should have been a point where um young Jack is like in the woods somewhere and Bruno Gans is just like camped out as like a hermit. He's like, I live in this tin tin. Is this palace. not a movie where like you saw scenes you're like, oh, I want Bruno Gans? Oh sure. I mean there there could have also been way more frozen bodies in this. That's fair. But there's none. And I fall silent for until you can actually talk about your movie. And I don't take over the goddamn Zero. conversation. No, listen, man, I'm always gonna take an opportunity to talk about the House of Jackville. We the House of Jackville is gonna end up being like the most pivotal film of the pivotal film. The whole like enterprise we're like, done here. Pivotal film episode zero, House That Jack Built. I'm going to be very honest with you. I have active thoughts in my mind about how I missed an opportunity. I was a fucking coward for not putting House That Jack Built in my best, any of my best stuff that year. Should have been. Didn't show up any of mine, right? No. Didn't show about either of ours. I think we were too freaked out by it. I think point. so, too. Yeah. And then we, as we had some distance, we were like, that's fine. Awesome. Anyway. Talk about the Tree of Life. So, um... I'll do what I normally do. Uh, 
you know, directed by Terrence Malick. This is Ter- This is the start of Terrence Malick's, uh, like, third phase, I think, right? I, mean, I, I don't know what that means. Well, so he did, like, Badlands and Days of Heaven, and then he took 20 years-ish it's off. It's like Thin Red Line and Then the Thin New Red World. Line and like The New World. That's is, it, right? But that's, like, the second Did he phase. do another film in, in that group? I feel like there might have been three, but I think it's just the two. Thin Red Line, New World. Is there? Yeah, maybe there's another one. It's just it's that. It's thin. No, it is just those two movies. Thin Red Line. So that's two. That's phase His two. Third phase is a lot of movies. His third phase is a lot of movies. There are a lot of weird movies, and but this I think is the most successful of all of them. We talked about another one. What the fuck is notes of a woman? Oh, it's a commercial. Never mind. <laughs> we talked about another one on my podcast. It was number forty-five. It was his film, The Night, Night of Cups. Cups. Which I, is a movie oh, I love, um, but for for some different reasons, the same, some of the same reasons, but some different reasons. And almost that movie seems to kind of accentuate some of what the the process was, which is just kind of like set a scene, tell some actors what the general idea of the scene is, and just like let them do stuff. Really quickly before you get yeah, into yeah, it, yeah, go ahead. Um, just just out of curiosity, where we set the scene. When you come, like, both of your films are third phase Terrence yeah. Malick. Like, coming into it, were you a big Badlands, Days of Heavens person? Yeah, awesome. And, so I'm I'm not. Yeah. I respect them, and I like them. I like the people in them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I've am i always been kind of fascinated with Richard Gere, like, as like a, as an actor, because Richard I think Richard Gere's in which one? He's in Days of Heaven. Okay. Because I think he stinks. Badlands is Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen okay. and Sissy's Basic, yeah. That's the one I've seen. And, so, and, and, Badlands, is, and Badlands is great. It's all-time classic. It, you know, I, 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 I don't ever talk about this. I hate New World and I hate Thin Red Line. So it's interesting because I think I don't care about either of those movies. I guess that's more the right answer. I just... They were so popular that I was like, I hate them. Well, the Thin Red Line was a big deal because it, like, it was a reintroduction of this guy. It got nominated for a bunch of stuff kind of out of nowhere. Everyone was just like... You know, I, I so that was I think around the time that I was paying a lot of attention. I was old enough to pay active attention to what was happening in the Oscars, and I was interested. You would have been like seventeen, yeah, ninety nine, yeah. And so when Thin Red Line was like, it just dropped. I, you know, it I didn't couldn't see it. It didn't play at any of the theaters that were around me. So really, I thought that was like everywhere. No, no, no I mean, not, maybe not before it got nominated for stuff. Okay. Maybe after it got nominated. But when it got nominated, it was like, oh yeah, the Return of Terrence Malick. Here's a movie that's got a million actors in it, and uh, you can't see it yet. And I was just like, okay, none of them are Adrian Brody. <laughs> it's got uh, Casey Jones in it from the Ninja Turtles movie. Awesome! Why can't I see this movie? Um, and then it had, you know, in the New World is kind of part of the Colin Farrell, you know, whatever. That's his, like during SWAT. The early Colin Daredevil, Farrell yeah. kind of trying to make himself a person thing. And then, and even, maybe not early Christian like Bale, because I don't think Christian Bale mattered back then. No, not at all. He was just kind of like this a is like guy. That's right before, I want to say, Begins. Yeah, no, oh, maybe yeah. like right Three after. years before Begins, yeah. Is it? Mm-hmm. New World? I thought New World was 2005. 2005 begins as 8, right? No, begins as 2005. So it's right after it begins. Oh, okay, wow. Uh, 2008 early. is Dark Knight. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. But I think Bale New World is not Bale. No, no. You put it. I was in I was ambivalent to that. Um and then I think the the I think the question I think is more interesting in the sense that like I wasn't active into Terrence Malick's early phase when um 
before Tree of Life. I mean, that was like something. It was catch up work I was doing for the Terrence Malick. I, mean, I, I knew you when you saw Tree of Life. Right. So Tree of Life is interesting in a lot of ways. Okay, Tree of Life. Uh, you know, I'll do what I always do. Uh, won the Palm Door in 2011. It got nominated for Best Picture and Best Director and Best uh, Cinematography for Emmanuel Lubezki, who could have won five times in in all those years and just kind of didn't. Oh, who won this year? Um, uh, Robert uh, Richardson for Hugo won. Oh, and who won Best Director? Oh, the guy that directed The Artist. So, awesome. (laughs) We did good. Here's the thing with Tree of Life, Mario. Was I'm that... curious. I'm curious what the other number. Okay, go ahead. For Noah, for what? No, I was looking at the other. Ooh, <laughs> it's a tough year. <laughs> the problem with Tree of Life, Mario, is that I I just had a a baby when Tree of Life came out, and so me and my wife were spending every night. Uh, I don't know if you remember me. I think I've gained like sixty pounds since. Tree of Life came out because when Tree of Life came out, me and my wife were going to bed every night at eight o'clock with our daughter, who only wanted to sleep for an hour and a half at a time. Uh, so we would just pass her back and forth. Oh my god! On top I of remember us. your daughter as a baby? Yes. So I'm so old. My whole life was consumed by this. So I didn't. I knew Tree of Life was coming out. I knew what it was about, but I couldn't see it. Couldn't go see it. It was. You weren't even an. You weren't even super excited for it. You were just curious. About I was a, I was aware of it and I knew what it was about. But here's the thing, Mario. I this knew. is like one of the first movies we could talk about where it's like we knew each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of I knew that I was gonna it was gonna be a thing. I knew I was gonna like it. I had this premonition in my in my it was, guts. It was it's how you presented it that yeah. I was gonna be, it was gonna be a big deal, and so I kind of avoided it for a long time. And this was. 2011, 12, 13 was when stuff was readily available on DVD. If you missed something, you really only had to wait wait like a year before it was available on multi like variations of uh, or uh, a lot of different variations of DVD on Blu-ray, two disc, you know, whatever edition. Um, it wasn't like one of those things where you just kind of had to wait forever for it to kind of get around for you. I didn't have to rent it. I could go to Best Buy and buy a copy of it for like a, a, a single disc copy of it for 10 bucks if I wanted to. That's really not important. The important thing was that I waited a long time to see it. Um, and when I finally got a chance to see it, I was kind of racked by this anxiety about the fact that like, what if this movie wasn't all the, it was, I thought it was going to be. And then I think this movie spoke to a lot of the things that are going to come up in some of the movies that we're going to talk about on the rest of this list. And it kind of clarified some things and it kind of filled a space in between some of those other movies, both aesthetically and thematically. So aesthetically, uh, if you've been tracking this thing, I've always been fascinated and they have this inherent kind of... um, uh, love for things that deal with, uh, or fascination of things, of or appreciation of things, whatever word you want to use to describe it, of of things that are kind of told in a collage format. So JFK was one of these things. Um, JFK for me is a purely, purely aesthetic thing that I I love. 
this gets a little closer to being more than aesthetic. It's into, for me, this is intellectual. My, ne- my number five is going to be touching on some of these same themes, but it's going to be emotional. So we're moving from the aesthetic to the intellectual to the emotional in seven, six, and five. I don't know. I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this movie again because I don't think we ever talked about this movie in terms of like you know how you deal with its themes, how you deal with its subject matter. How we you talked about this movie in terms of awards, or right, your end awards, and you being so upset about my choices. Right, but we've never talked about it in terms of like how you feel about this mm. movie because I think in a lot of ways, from some of the Malik stuff that we've, <laughs> from some of the Malik stuff that we've talked about, like in terms of Knight of Cups and like some of the other weird. Malik things there's there's themes here that I think you probably could relate to you know what I mean um, but we'll get there I kind of askew the religious themes in this movie so this movie tells the story of the O'Briens we meet them in this in a kind of the movie tell ta- the, the movie has a very funny relationship to time very unique relationship to time so it starts where the the middle child is 19 years old and he's died in, in, in a war. I think probably Vietnam, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's, a, there's Jessica Chastain as Mrs. O'Brien and Brad Pitt as Mr. O'Brien are kind of grieving and wondering, like, you know, how God could have taken their son. This, of course, and it makes so much sense, Terrence Malick just decides to go backwards from here not to the childhood of that second son but to literally the beginning of existence (laughs) and one of the great sequences of of modern film history is this really long protracted sequence of the birth of the universe to uh the beginning of our story which meets you know we have the o'brien and we're looking at the o'brien family from jack played by hunter mccracken um, who I think is very good. You get Ty Sheridan here, an early Ty Sheridan performance, which is really interesting because he would go on to be, was he Cyclops in the new X-Men movies? No, was he? He's in the X-Men movie. Maybe he's Iceman? He is Cyclops, you're right. Cyclops, yeah. Um, But other than that, you know, you kind of get... I remember him from Ready Player One. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is Ready Player One. I didn't see Ready Player One. Pretty lucky. Um... And the movie follows them around as Jack kind of develops his consciousness, I guess. But before that, we have this weird interlude where Sean Penn is old Jack, and he is some kind of architect? Something? He's doing something. And big tall buildings made out of steel and glass and he's having some kind of crisis of maybe a faith he's having some kind of 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 existential crisis and ultimately what i pulled out of this movie and i'm not talking about myself here i'm just talking about from a theme is that sean penn's character jack is mourning the death of his brother And he is asking some of the same questions that Jessica Chastain's character as the mother is asking, which is like, how could you do this? But ultimately, like, how does this experience, how do I fit into the grand scheme of the universe? And the universe answers by saying, like, you fit in. This is literally exactly how you fit in. Here's the start and here's where you you come in. 
But I think ultimately the thing that I'm pulling away from this is that what Sean Penn is really asking is like he's thinking about and reflecting on the moments where he first felt the presence of something bigger than himself. And I am not a, I am not a Christian. I grew up a Christian. I'm currently not a Christian. But I do believe I have a spiritual sense of self. I have a spiritual sense of existence. I am also very curious about the ways in which things that are beyond our control interact with my daily decisions and my daily my daily life like how do um something i've been thinking about a lot recently is like how does my taste in music you know maybe you've been thinking about that too because you've been digging digging music um like heavy now also um where does that come from and how how is my how are my my experience is influencing this, but also how, like, what is inherent to just, like, my my soul? You know what I mean? What is the nature of a soul? What are the things that influence the construction of a soul? And I think from an aesthetic standpoint, this is where a lot of, this is where Malik shines in the sense that, like, every hand blowing through the wind is a moment. Every hand, like, swiping through grass is a moment. Every time your dad tries to shove something down your throat across a kitchen table is a moment. Every time you hear your dad playing a piano movement, um you know, in his own world is a moment every time, if you're that dad, every time you kind of play the piano instead of doing the thing that you're kind of tasked with doing from just a uh, uh, a, a life level, you know, and an existence level, you know what I mean? You have to have, you live in 1950s America, you have to have money, so instead of being a great musician, you're tasked with being an engineer at you know, some kind of plant that closes and, you know, whatever. What is the relationship of yourself to a garden? What is the relationship of yourself to members of the opposite sex? What is your relationship of yourself to their underwear? Um, to broken glass, to your brothers, to violence, to love, to all of these things. Like, how does... it's This movie is... The beauty of this movie and the genius of this movie, from my standpoint, is that it's, like, filmed poetry. Like there's, he's not using words to tell poems here. He's using literal images, the things that like poetry is trying to convey to, 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 to create a poem, to structure a poem. And whether or not you buy all the other kind of narrative things that are happening in here, from a, a molecular level, what this movie is, however much sense this movie makes, doesn't make any difference on a molecular level. Um, the way that a self is created or the way that a, a person may perceive a self is what I pull out of this movie and we're going to get there so like my next my number five is before this movie and it comes at I think this question in a lot of different ways my number one is before this movie comes at the question in, in different ways as well um and this movie has just given me over the years like a lot of things to think about. This is, I think, the um, I don't know if you read the Ebert review of this. It's like one of Ebert's kind of like famous, like last reviews. Because he dies in 2013. He was pretty soon after this, and he's not speaking when he's doing this, so he's yeah, just yeah. writing. So in his and I as a as an Ebert guy, I was kind of following along. His reviews had gotten kind of very stilted, like you know just. Literally, he's, he's sick. He's yeah. doing his best, but you know, this is where he he comes alive during this thing. But uh, interestingly, for Ebert, he kind of relates this to his own like autobiography. 
and how he kind of sees this movie um, replicating his experience as a child maybe growing up at that time. I obviously don't fucking have that. I was born in 1982. I was not born in the 50s or the late 40s. I have no relation. I was born in Connecticut. I got no relationship to growing up in Texas in the 50s. My dad did not treat me like this. My mom was not like this. My brothers were not like this. I suppose we did similar things in terms of being idiots and boys and running around in packs, um, you know, in our neighborhood and stuff like that. But this isn't my life. I don't connect to this movie on a life level. I connect to this movie on a intellectual level, which I think is good. But it's like a broader intellectual level. It's like a spiritual intellectualism in the sense that, like, the narrative leaps that this movie takes in terms of, like, fact, does he end up in heaven at the end of this movie? Like, what is Sean Penn doing at the beginning of the movie? What is anybody doing at, like, the various poles of this movie? Um, Don't matter to me at all. It's the feeling that the aesthetics of this movie try to convey, which I connect with intellectually, which speak to my own thinking about how a self is created. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. For sure. So I'm, I'm now, Mario, I'm kind of done. How, what, is, what are your personal feelings of Tree of Life? Beyond awards, beyond all the other stuff, what do you think of Tree of Life? it's fine yes it's a full circle podcast you know why you know why i think it's fine i remember re-watching this movie i remember re-watching it going this is a movie i watched with such urgency Mm -hmm. because we were doing our best movies of the year Mm -hmm. like two days later Mm -hmm. like so we met each other in 2010 Mm mm-hmm and start talking about stuff and like reset our best movies of 2010. 2011 was like the first year we really, really dug into it. The first time I saw Tree of Life, I saw. Did you see it in theaters? No. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know I saw Tree of Life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On my computer screen, immediately after I saw. Um, fuck, what did I see? I saw The Art, the Artist and the Descendants. I saw Tree of Life, then I would immediately watch The Artist, which I shut off because it sucks. And then, the artist is awful. Yeah. I mean, I love um, Michael. I love what they did with OSS 17, mm-hmm. like 117. And then I'd watch The Ascends later that night. But I was like, really? It was the, you know me, with my anxiousness of like, I have to watch everything yeah. after we do our awards. Sure, and sure. we were going to like hang out at, God, where were we going to hang out? I think we were going to Delaney's? No, it wasn't Delaney's. No, I think we were going to hang out at Archie's mm. for some reason. Maybe. Um, to do her like best of the year. And I remember you just talking about Tree of Life so much. And I remember being so nervous because in that year, like my big movies were The Gray and Your Next. Being like my big movie. I remember you really liking The Gray. Yeah. I remember you seeing The Gray and coming to work the next day and being like, the fucking Gray, man. This is it for Liam Neeson. He's going to get a nomination this year. I remember. No, I. I didn't think you were very yes. I, you I were very he, I thought pumped. he could. I thought he could. Um, and then TJ came in and but, be like, "Dude, look at this picture." <laughs> my issue, but my biggest issue with Tree of Life was the week I watched Tree of Life is I had seen another movie, um, which had spoke to me much more, uh, which was Jeff Nichols' Take Shelter. Mm. Yeah. Um, which is doing. 
it's not doing the same thing at all, but it's it's presenting this kind of like presence of world in a way that I responded to more mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, just this kind of like cold indifference, uh, this kind of like Jobian perspective of the world mm. that I was responding to. And I remember when I watched Tree of Life, I just was like, none of this is speaking to me. All of this feels so much like posture, which has always been my problem with Terrence Malick. Well, I think it's because it's, it felt like posture. It's all. It's... And I remember watching this. Giving it like the best shot because like yeah I had seen in the weeks leading up to this like Girl with the Dragon Two the Gray and Your Next and just being like these are the movies I love this year and Take Shelter and then just like because you had just kept talking about Tree of Life I remember like I need to give this a fair shot and when I saw it I was just like seen it I was just like I I don't feel it we're gonna be very so it's which is weird because I, I think it's also kind of one of those movies where like it's a movie spoken to when you see it well and i it's i um because i, I forever think, i forever associate it with a really not fun part of my life yeah, and yeah rewatching it i'm just like this makes me feel bad huh it's, it's, it's for me because, which is maybe like a strength of terrence malick is like he knows how to tap into well i wonder moment. though see the thing and i wonder if like you if but like there was ability. Every time I watch Tree of Life, I'm just like 2011 Mario. Right, and I wonder if no, there was an ability to, to strip it away from that. If you would be able to find something inside of it that like you kind of connect with, which either on it's, a not, it's not a criticism of no, the no, 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 I'm not even talking about like I'm, I'm just thinking like in terms of my appreciation of this movie is so aesthetic that I um outside of that CGI dinosaur, <laughs> those but that, I, that but CGI is so bad. I but I, I love the CGI dinosaur. I think it's so fucking great. I think every well, part of that. Well, you showed kids that. Like, oh, yeah. I made them sit through, like, the beginning of the creation to, like, when it goes back they, to. they liked your daughter, you said. I don't know that. if they liked it as much as they were just kind of like, what is this? Well, I thought your daughter really, like, Well, they were really it. into volcanoes and dinosaurs at the time. So it was, like, it had a lot of things going for it in yeah. that sequence. And I think I showed it, and I said to my wife, I was like, I showed them, I already showed this to them as far as I could get into, like, the family well, sequence just, before terrible things are happening. I remember, I remember when I saw that sequence, I was just, I was five years removed from Arnofsky with Fountain and just going, like, this isn't Fountain. See, but I think it's different than Fountain. So for me, it's... It is, but it yeah. just, I, I remember, it's, I just remember being just, like, a, such a bad state of mind. I was like... I think and thinking of the fountain in such a good like a, a memory, that, right? And so I think what's interesting with this is that this kind of I can't I can't judge this movie fairly. I guess this confirmed my five and my one. I think for me, in the sense that it cool had, runnings and of cool course, runnings and Air, Mighty Ducks too. Mighty Ducks too. That's yeah. a good one. The Keenan Thompson one with the knuckle puck. I love me some knuckle puck. Um, is that Keenan Thompson? Yeah, Jesus. Um. Goldberg doing some meth. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. You can't do that to Goldberg. He's had a tough time. Um, the aesthetic of this confirmed a lot of the thoughts that I was having about just how I perceive the how I perceive the world, which is like a, I think an ongoing conversation within myself. Which is interesting because I think like Take Shelter was the performances were saying what I thought of the world at that time. Yeah, it's like a really good 2011, and the movies we responded to are really. If anybody's ever going to do a retrospective of what Tom Nolan, future 
you know, general secretary of the UN and Mario Ponzio, oh, Jesus. future serial killer of like a thousand people. <laughs> if I'm the general secretary of the UN, there's going to be a lot of this. What am I supposed to do now? Nikki Haley was a secretary. Like you, you could figure it out. That's true. That's true. And Trump picked her personally. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I so there's God, there's just did the um at the same. There's second. so much as there, there's so much like. There's so many... Like, but what... So, yeah, I guess on, I've right. always... I never... I don't know... I've never known what responds to you in that moment. Like, you said it, but I've never got a feeling of Which what... Which moment? Of, of what responded to you emotionally. The like, moment like, that Fiona like Shaw is just in this movie for, like, two scenes and... <laughs> no, I've always gotten a sense of, like, what, res- what you respond to aesthetically, but never, like, emotionally what you respond well, to. Well, that's the thing. So there's a... The emotion is is all chained to the aesthetic. It's all personal. Like, I don't really care about... I don't know how so, though. But I don't really care about Jack. I don't care about that Jack is breaking windows. I don't care yeah. that Jack is like, attracted to this girl. I don't care that Jack hates his dad. I don't care about his dad. I don't care about Jessica Chastain, who has not been good at all since she made this movie. Um, um, that's a dig at Jessica Chastain, but she needs to make better choices or she's going to end up like a bunch of other people who, you know, have... She's not... She's not she's, bad. She just makes shitty choices. She's good in Zero Dark Thirty. Sure. But this Which is... is after this. Well, it's like the same... It was like a year after, right? No. It has to be like two years after this, right? Keep, keep telling. Doesn't matter. Um... The intention of this movie is not to just dig on Jessica Chastain. Um, or kind of, you know, praise or, you know, whatever Brad Pitt, who was kind of <laughs> it's, awkward. It's one, it's one year after. Yeah, exactly. So, actually, she probably made Zero Dark Thirty Mosh. when Terrence Malick was editing this movie. Um, I just, you know me. I will not take Jessica Chastain's lights lightly. I love Jessica Chastain. I wish she would make better compared, decisions. Compared to me. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish she would make just... Compared to me. <laughs> I wish Jessica Chastain would stop making Aaron Sorkin movies and make real movies. Or It sequels. She didn't make that It sequel. There's no way she knew she was at that It sequel. That's like Gwyneth Paltrow in that, first, in that Spider-Man movie. Where she was just like, I don't remember being in any Spider-Man movies. Like, no, the first one. You were in it. And she's just like, okay. I don't know. Sure. I just came. I went to Atlanta one day and they filmed me in... I said some stuff to a hologram of Robert Downey Jr. and then I left, um, and they gave me twenty million dollars. Uh, it's it's for me. It's the and I, it's one of the reasons I, f- I find this movie so easy to love is that it's all aesthetic for me. I don't have any kind of like traditional emotional attachment to it. I don't care what happens to any of these characters. It's the what the char- It's Terrence Malick's direction and but Emmanuel Lubezki's. Because that's how I perceive my world around me. It's one of these things where... But, like, like I, I'm just curious about, like, why... Because... So you're typically never in that spot where you feel that way. And so I, what led you to be in that But moment? here's the thing. I do feel that way. I feel that way all the time. I feel that way every time I, like, get up on... And I've talked about this, I feel like, on this podcast before. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I've talked about it in a lot of different things. It's like... You know, as being a musician, every time I got up on stage to play a show, I just expected my life to be different. And mm-hmm. how yeah, different. Yeah, you, you've talked about that. It's the, it's the minor things. It's it's completing, like, our, 
completing a guitar solo that doesn't seem totally ridiculous because I don't know how to play guitar. It's like hitting a note that like sometimes I hit in practice and it doesn't matter, but like I'll fucking hit it like, you know, this one time at a show. It's like uh, a song that sounds kind of clumsy in practice, sounds really good at a show, but it's also like one of those things where like, and I just said like a bunch of times in a row, having kids, you just expect... You expect things to to notice when things happen to your children. It's you expect to notice when things happen to you when you get when when you're married when you're in a relationship. You expect to notice when your life changes. And I think this movie is really great in the sense that it's the fundamental question it's asking is that Jack is saying when is the moment that my life changed. When is the moment that I felt the presence of God? You know, the you that he's talking to. Yeah. He introduced, you introduced me. I entered, I started talking to him through you. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he's talking to his, his, his mom. Um, when is that thing? And he keeps trying to get at it. You know what I mean? Is it this moment? Is it this other moment? Is it when he touched this thing? Is it when he ran this distance? Is it was had this conversation? Is it when he did this thing? Which pane of broken glass was the moment that he felt like a piece of himself kind of formed together? You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, when the puzzle pieces started to fit and they were no longer loose and kind of in, in jiggling and rattling around inside himself where he felt it, it, it flush and he become himself. I'm, it's that whole idea. I think the beauty of this movie for me is that it's a movie about an idea, and I don't. I don't even care about Terrence Malick. I don't care what he's doing. Um, you know, I mean, a, we hope he's doing well. No, no. I mean, I mean, I don't care what he's doing in this movie. You know what I mean, or what he it's means to yeah, do. Yeah. Like there's, he's clearly a Christian. He's clearly asking big questions. But you can also take it from the consideration of the fact that he's not a Christian who started his movie about talking to God with like uh, uh, a creationism story you know what i mean yeah. he's a it's a big bang thing there's a lot of chemical reactions there's a lot of things that are just happening we skip over the the caveman neanderthal period there it just goes right from dinosaurs to to jessica chastain but she's got that cleft chin so maybe she's a little part of it sean penn or uh, brad pitt's got the the underbite they're working hard um but that's the thing even in the sean penn character even the dad character provide he he exemplifies the juxtaposition of a guy who seems like, and I just said this, so that's why I'm going to make this connection. I didn't think of this until then. This kind of Neanderthal, uh, in the very loosest, in air quotes term, way to raising kids, hitting them, belittling them, shaming them, like, you know, just you know, <clears throat> dominating them, to a guy that loves music. That want that plays the organ at church, that like has a belief in like the fist, but also this belief in in all of these untouchable things, and this movie is just kind of rife with those dichotomies that are the, the movie doesn't even really try to reconcile at all, and so to the end of the fact that the end of the movie is twenty minutes of Sean Penn walking around, you know. The city. Just meeting people on the beach, and then there's all these Jessica Chastain doing hand things with angels, um, and it's beautiful, and I love it, and it's 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 just incredible. I mean, the fact that this is a mainstream movie, in a, you know, in some ways, and 
got a lot of press and you know won awards and got nominated for awards and um, got recognized in the same breath as some really shitty movies, but that were financed by big Actual stu- studios. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, is in- is incredible, and I think it just speaks to the kind of the power of 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 this movie and its ideas. And it's, but again, it's one of those things that's. It's number six because it's a movie that keeps kind of regenerating in its value to me as a person. Because even now, I feel this way about, uh, I feel this way about lots of things. Like after we're gonna finish this episode, I'm gonna get a sandwich. I feel the, I, I feel this way about the sandwiches, Mario. I think I might be getting the sandwich. I can't eat that sandwich. You texted me the description of the sandwich. It's like, I can literally feel my arteries just kind of like filling with cheese. I feel like I should get that sandwich. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I have a... I have you, no, have a, you have a, a family to co- go home to. But, I don't. But the, I, can, I can eat that But I'm going to be honest with you. The, fa- the sandwich represents something specific. And, like, I love my family. And I miss my family. And I feel guilty when I don't go home. When I'm not, like, with my family. But I also feel like the sandwich represents a kind of like moment in time where like I'm most not at most anything. I'm munchies, just, by the way, if you want to sponsor munchies. us, like you just gotta give us. How do they not recognize us at this point? We go in every we go in every night we record and we get a sandwich and we get I get the same sandwich and I don't know what you know I go crazy. And, and you go you new. live right next to it. So I sure. like I only go there when you're except outside of one time. I only go there when you go there. Mario, I would literally eat at that place every day. That's You show amazing restraint and strength of character by not eating at that restaurant every day of your life. Ladies. It's amazing. You might get ladies who's like, oh, that guy lives near Munchies? There. I will date that guy for 20 years as long as Munchies stays open. Um, no, but all these things, like there's a... This is going to sound really stupid, and I hope someone points it out to me. There's a poetry to Munchie's sandwiches. There is a poetry to my drive here. There is a poetry to whatever the weird beers we're drinking. There is a poetry to the ability to kind of get out a sentence in the way that I think of it in my head mm-hmm. without saying like or um or you know or whatever. Um, there is a poetry to kind of us having... A conversation about a movie that we don't understand and then we maybe understand it a little better at the end of that thing as opposed to having that conversation and kind of like reliving like last week when i talked about movies i liked and like when i talked about there is no i in threesome and you just shut me down but i feel like if you were watched no there's no i in threesome in a different context but no we had a conversation and you presented it in a different there's ways. a poetry to having friends there's a poetry to being like being in relationships with the people there's a poetry to all that stuff and i feel like the beauty of tree of life is that the 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 aspects of that poetry or the 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 construct of that poetry is not like the larger poem it's like specific word choices it's specific so it's the syntax it's uh the scheme if there's a lack of scheme or if there's a scheme it's all these little minor things it's the structure of everything which in like re- in real life is just the day to day process of living and knowing other people. I mean, and knowing other people is super fucking hard, or just knowing yourself or interacting with other things. I mean, so if there is no poetry in your life, if you're just sitting home and watching um, shitty television, if you get up in the morning and you go to your job and then 
you eat a Blue Apron meal and then you watch Bridgerton and you think you did a good job. There's no poetry in that because everybody is doing that. I do know someone that does that exact thing. <laughs> if anybody, if anybody's not seeing what I did, I just did like a don't don't say this, Tom. But the point what I'm making is that if you're doing that stuff and you're not thinking about it, you're not connecting with anything. If you're just doing it because that's the thing you have to do, and I would refer people to something like a book like um, Hallie Butler's The New Me or her book Jillian, which deals with literally this exact thing. Um, and in a better way than a lot of other books. I mean, the, her book, The New Me, is a genius fucking novel. And it literally deals with that exact thing. It's the roteness of one's existence and how you're not noticing. Not not noticing, but because of the nature of your existence, you're kind of uh, precluded from noticing the way that things move you or the way that things kind of define really, you or any of this other stuff. Really quickly. And Tree I, of Life is about that. Go ahead. I just want to say this about Tree of Life. As a criticism. I think Tree of Life makes me realize that too much. Mm. I love realizing that. But I think too like, much? I think I, when I watch Tree of Life, I go like, yeah, I know. I'm not doing what I need to do. Mm. That's what my Calm wife felt down. when she watched Nomadland. She's like, we have too much, too many things. But, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a Terrence Malick thing, but I just remember watching. I just know watching that movie, I'm like... It's on the nose. Oh, I think it's so on the nose. But I think it's because it's for him. That's not fair. for me. No, I'd agree. It's not for I, you. It's like so for the him. The second you say that, like Terrence Malick is doing something for himself, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair. But that's, and it's one of the things that I'm kind of going through now when I write my when I'm writing my book is that like it's I the first draft of my book all the way through all 325 pages of it or 15 pages of it. Oh man, are I really have to write more about? Is book. that you have three hundred twenty-five pages? I have twenty-eight of mine. <laughs> it's so my the whole thing is about that idea is, is like where is I said the word poetry just is kind of like a stand-in for for yeah the ways sure. that a lot of other things could be. Where is the poetry in a person's in a person's life? You know what I mean? Where is the point where they are most fully interacting with the details that? surround them every day and i think it's it's both hard and it's both super scary but it's also something that like i really i really love and so i tend to disregard the big picture stuff and really hammer in on like the mm. the micro aspects of the micro memories yeah, yeah. almost um and in and i think it's so again, JFK, I think, from a film level, does that. You know what I mean? Where it's just kind of, it's pulling existence apart and it's manipulating it and it's showing you in a certain way and Absolutely. you can kind of see it. And I, it's it feels good. It's just mm-hmm. awesome. It's a rush. Tree of Life, as I've kind of articulated, kind of redefines that idea. And then my number five is going to pull in the emotions attached to that idea. Airbud too. Airbud, Airbud Two is great. Angels in the Outfield Two, all the dis, all the Disney clamshell cases, two. That's what I'm about. The direct-to-video Disney releases, absolutely. That's a, Free Willy Two. Aladdin. Willy wants to get back into the sanctuary. Listen, you know what was almost on my list was Free Willy. Really, I fucking loved Free Willy when I was a kid. Oh, I hated loved it. it. I hated it because of why. 
just my general old manness. Oh, man, I was obsessed with Free Willy when I was a kid. If you want to talk about being an old man, <laughs> you can do so. Why not Free Willy? At Film Pivotal. Or you can go to Pivotal Film, or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com and you can tell us, please put in the subject line Free Willy. We want to know. Hashtag Free Willy if you're responding to us on Twitter. Um, or you can go to Pivotal Film Podcast. Twiddler? Twiller. 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 Twiller.com. It's probably something that the fucking redcoats wear. Um, it made me think of Shit's Creek and it made me mad. Um, Wait, you still hate Shit's Creek? I hate it more. Oh, that's a. It's a waiting for sandwich conversation. So uh, I was gonna say, so waiting for sandwich conversation. You don't want to have. We now. don't want. To, we don't want to. We don't want to alienate anybody. Our, our population is probably very pro Shit's Creek. So let's. Uh, um, I like Shit's Creek fans. We can. Um, so if yeah, you're gonna hate somebody. Send it all the hate mail, to Tom. Yeah, <laughs> go to Pivotal Film Podcast uh, or PivotalFilm.com. You see uh, the list on our Pivotal Film list. You kind of. Look at the beers we drank. Look the, the beers we drank. Nine hops that were not impressive. It's, and it's it's funny. It's just it's. You I mean, look, I love relic beers, but like, I already actually. You know what? Maybe it's not a criticism. Maybe like you guys did a good enough job that you made nine hops not taste like anything. Maybe I don't know, but I feel like I want it to taste like something. Yeah, that's fair. I already got our beer for next week, oh, and it I'm is excited. It is. Um, it's weird, I guess. It's got a lot of things going on in it. I hope I can go, the, like, go down that mass hole, mouse hole. <laughs> that was a yes. No, this is the perfect time to do that. Go down that mouse hole, or maybe Tomcat myself out of that situation. Oh! Because if I can, maybe it's time to uh, drink a beer and see a movie. And we will talk to you soon.